Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast with your hosts, Corndog and Eric. Hey everybody, welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, episode number 83, April 26, 2023. I'm your co-host, Corndog, sitting here in studio with our other co-host, Eric. What's happening, Eric? Hey guys, we're stoked to be back. Yeah, it's been a little while. Boy, have we had some adventures. So on this show... Been busy. Yeah. This show, we're going to kind of do a an update and a catch-up show, and then our road to Baja and our Baja experience. So um, we got Joe Laveri sitting in studio and we're going to have Hayden Roberts uh, on the phone here in a little bit, but just kind of run through some things and kind of update where you, where we've been. Yeah, this show's going to be busy. So grab a snack, grab a drink, get ready. Cause uh, it's been, a, <laughs> it's been a busy couple months. We yeah. haven't done a show in, in a little while and I know we've both been running like crazy and the last hard for the Baja stuff and the last shows we had I was on the road. Yeah. So we were gonna talk about that a little bit, I guess. My moto van road trip across yeah. the country. Uh man, it was crazy. Um I did all kinds of stuff. How how many days were you on the road? It was like two months. I was gone two months, so um I rode a little bit uh outside of Phoenix. Um an OHV park by Lake Pleasant. Uh, actually, before I, when I left Vegas on my road trip, I stopped at our round one Moran race, raced the gambler's race up in Nelson Hills. Uh, it was fun. Then hit the road from there and just all the way, all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, went to Houston Supercross. And I went to Georgia with my brothers. We went riding at a place called uh, Highland Park. Uh, that's a pretty cool place. KTM World, I think it's called there. Mm-hmm. Big KTM shop. Uh, then the motorcycle museum. Yeah, went to that uh, Barber Barber Motorsports Park and Vintage Museum. Holy cow, dude! Mm-hmm. They had on display a thousand and seven bikes on display. And the kid that was working the counter there, he said that's only a third of the bikes they own. Wow. How cool it would be to go through their warehouse or their <laughs> They just... It's a five-story building. They actually had to kick me out because they were closing. I, I didn't want to leave. I wish they had more of the dirt bike world, but they had a little bit of different dirt bike stuff. But, dude, bikes all the way from the 1800s to, to today. So it was, it was crazy. Uh then me and my brother decided to go race a GNCC over in uh, South Carolina, the Big Buck. And uh, that was crazy. First, a, first GNCC? First GNCC. Yeah. So I do know I don't like wet roots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the dirt is wet. You're up in the mountains. And so it was like a 12-mile course. And... When I raced, there was probably 400 bikes on on this 12-mile course. And there's very little places to pass, and the name of the game is to get a good start. And I don't know. I think I did pretty good for for being a desert guy in the mud, in the trees. Yeah. So I ended up – I was running top five in my class 
all the way till the end, and then a guy went down in front of me, and I went down. So I think I was 12th or 13th out of 22, but I wasn't last, so. <laughs> um, man, and I hauled butt back and got back in time to hit round two of the Moran series, Mercury, and uh, that was probably the most technical race I've I've ever done. It was nonstop technical out at Mercury. It was rocky hills, waterfalls. It was just, it was gnarly. Fun, though. It's even funner when you get first place. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. No, Mercury's fun, but yeah, it's challenging. It's Very rocky. Rocky, rocky. There was a lot of rocks. I don't remember ever going through all the stuff they took us through this time. Hmm. It was it was gnarly. Anyway, so a two-month trip, and uh, oh, I can't, I cut my trip early three weeks early because I came back and raced the Mint 400 with uh, Happy Dave and Jake Bozart on his KTM 500. And uh, we were doing pretty good racing the over 40 class. And uh, we kept having clutch problems. The clutch lever, it was an aftermarket clutch lever, something Jake put on there and it just kept coming apart. So we ended up fourth for the day, but 23rd overall. And we started like 60 something. So... Mm -hmm. Cool. It was a good day. We finished and had fun and we're healthy at the end. So it was fun. So maybe we'll come back next year and play again. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but yeah, that kind of brings us up to our road to Baja, I guess. And we'll get into that in a little bit. I guess a couple other things that's going on. Um, Legacy Baja Nevada is coming up May 10th through yeah, the 12th. Two weeks out. For Baja Nevada, yep. it's a two-day event. Um, really fast, high high-speed course, and uh, <clears throat> that'll be a fun one. So that's dibbed or dubbed the longest race in the U.S. Now it is, yeah, six hundred. I think last year it was six hundred thirty-five miles. Not sure what the total mileage is this year, but close to that. You actually race for two days, right? Yeah, two days of racing, yeah. You actually stop and sleep and then yep. start again it, uh yep they'll start around tonopah do a big loop up north and then end in tonopah and then spend the night there that night you have time to prep bikes and re reset and then um and then they start day two so yeah that's kind of cool um and then we just had our nevada 200 trail ride that was a huge success a lot I think we had close to 200 bikes. Yeah, I think 185, right around there. Um, three days of riding, close to 200 miles, and uh, mostly all single track or or a little bit of two track and washes to get to the single track. But yeah, it's it's an epic ride, good time. Blew up my bike on Saturday, but uh, it had a had a lot. A lot of riding that whole week. I marked it all all week and then chased it. And I knew my bike was ready to do a top end and just hadn't had time. Yeah. Had all the parts, so it's it, it let loose. And then Sunday for the ride, got a shout-out to Mike Meza. He had a brand-new Husky 350. He told me I could ride it if I wanted to, and I was pretty reluctant about riding somebody else's bike, but... Glad I did. It was fun. It was it was brand new. It was like a perfect break in because just chasing everybody and helping people and then cleaning courses as we go. So 
it was probably benefited Mike because it was like the perfect break-in. Yeah. But it yeah. was fun. <clears throat> yeah, he took that bike out last week to the track. He told me. He said he had a good time. So oh, cool. I think he broke it in good for him. Somebody put a dang corn dog sticker on the front of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if he even noticed. Uh, uh, what else is going on? Oh, and then Takomoto is having an open house May 12th in Vegas. Uh, they're having the mayor of North Las Vegas come down, getting a key to the city or something, and ribbon cutting and bike show and just... Huh. Cool. Sounds like a cool, pretty cool thing. I'm going to go there and give him a hand and help him out. And then our Ground Shakers race coming up May 6th, the 7th Annual Casey Folks 100. It's going to be a dual scramble. I was out on course all day today, marking course. And uh, we're going to do something different, uh, two motos for the big bikes. It's going to be a race first thing in the morning and then a race at the end of the day and then combine their your times for your place so come out and check that out go uh go to moranracing.com for more info or check out our ground shakers page our ground shakers facebook got hacked and disappeared so i don't know what happened there i still have the page so or on our instagram uh Anyways, I guess that's about it for our catch-up and intro and uh, time to do our story, Road to Baja. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to take a little break. We're going to go get Hayden Roberts on the phone to join us. We have Joe Laverie, the four of us. We're all down in Baja, and um, we'll talk about the week leading up to leaving and the border and all the trials and tribulations we did all week and how the team finished um, made the podium. So pretty awesome. All right, let's go get Hayden. All right. All right, we have Hayden Roberts on the phone. Uh, how you doing, Hayden? Doing great. How you guys doing? We're good. So we got most of the crew here from our Baja um, experience. <laughs> yeah man we're sitting here with uh myself corndog and joe the, the man joe laverry joe laverry how's joey going? d what up buddy what's <laughs> up dude so anyways we're, we we already did the first part of the show our update and got up to the current <clears throat> so we're gonna tell our baja story i guess and start i guess like the week before we left for Baja and all the trials and tribulations from the week before all the way until hitting the podium. Yeah. So um, I'll kick this thing off and just kind of let me go back a little bit and give a little history on the team. Um, back in December, myself and Taylor Stevens talked about racing the San Felipe 250. And um, it was just kind of a, an idea that got kicked around to, to go do the San Felipe 250 together. And then that kind of morphed into uh, us reaching out to a couple of people for some support. And we ended up putting together some support for the entire Baja series this year. And a uh, huge, huge uh, shout out to Norman racing and Mike Mesa for stepping up and, 
wanting to take on this endeavor to race the entire score Baja series this year. So um, we started putting things together and, and finding some riders that we wanted to, to race with down in Mexico. And uh, basically we picked up myself, Taylor Stevens, um, Hayden Roberts, and um, that was kind of the, the initial team there that we had put together. We started building some bikes and putting things in place to, to race down there. Um, anyway, we, the, we, we were given three bikes for the team and we, uh, so we sent those off to the motor builder and things took a little bit longer to get parts and get things put together. Uh, then we were hoping and suspension, we had to send suspensions out and get stuff dialed in. Anyway, it got down to, uh, couple two three weeks before we were going to leave for san felipe and we had just gotten bikes back and things got really busy with with my work um and i had the bikes out here so didn't get a lot of time to test uh we were pretty limited on on our time to test the suspension and setups and um and then actually you know build the race bike too, strip it down check every nut and bolt and Loctite everything and do the the wiring harness for the lights and different things that we had to do to the bike for uh, to meet score tech tail light and headlight and everything. And, um, anyway, in the middle of all that, uh, we started dealing with some flooding here in the county, and being the emergency manager for the county, I had to you know step up in my in my job and take care of that. Uh, amongst all this so did not have much time to to really set the bike up the way i wanted to and and prep it the way i wanted to but uh with long nights burning the candle at both ends we kind of made it happen we had a whole group of guys had a group up. of people here yeah i had a group of people show up to, to help me showed up in the shop and just help me bust out wheel sets and bikes and plastics and you name it man we were building uh race bikes and pre-runners and getting everything we get in the van loaded and um anyway a couple days before we left we kind of got everything dialed in and i uh, can't say enough good about everyone that came in and helped um brit marshall russ pearson corn dog um my brother justin Mike uh, came down trevin trevin perkins mike came down i mean we had just a load of people that came in to help so um without them i don't know that we'd have made it and so that was a huge part of of getting there and then uh anyway so <clears throat> we actually delayed going down by a day or two because of the flooding um, i decided to stick around until i felt like things were under control and so delayed going down for a day or two and missed a, an extra day or two of pre-running and then uh, Thursday night, Hayden came down from Utah and stayed at the house here. And um, and then Friday morning, we, we headed out, headed to Mexico. So um, I had – Hayden needed a, a chase driver. So I had Corndog and Joe LaVerry lined up to, to drive and chase for me. And so it just worked out that I had an extra guy. And so we put corn dog in with Hayden 
<laughs> and <laughs> why are we laughing? Dude? Uh, hey, I love you, buddy. It gets pretty good. They they ended up bonding through this experience. So anyway, uh, Corn Dog hopped in with Hayden, and and Joe drove me, and I was finally able to relax for five minutes on the way down. And um, anyway, so we headed down, and we. Uh, myself and Joe were in my van and Hayden and Corndog were in uh, Hayden's pickup that he brought down so I just want to say that I (laughs) I've wanted to going to Baja has been on my bucket list for a long time we've talked about it on several shows and I wanted the full Baja experience yeah, we've been talking about this forever. You guys all know, like, and I Corn got Dog's it. been he's dying to go down there. Every show, it's his bucket list. We're going to Baja. So here, this is that's the deal, dude. We're we finally made it. We're finally dialed in. We're ready to go down there. And so we head down, and we get close to the border. We pull off at the sand dunes down in Glamis Glamis Dunes. We pull off down there, take a quick pee break, and check the tires, pictures. Took some team pictures, just BS and having a good time. And um, we press on. I think it's another, what, 45 minutes to the border crossing or something there. And um, I think it was the crossing two at Mexicali. So we roll into there and um, I, I kind of, I called these guys and I was like, hey guys, should be pretty smooth going through. Just, just roll through if they stop and check you just tell them you're there for the you know the baja 500 race or baja 250 race and um you know if we whoever gets through first just pull off and wait for the other and we'll we'll join back up and head to san felipe so um we me and joe roll through and we had all the real fast yeah um yeah i just want to say i mean because this is gotta be part of the story is the the last words i heard before me and eric crossed the border into mexico from your guys's car which i believe came from dave were don't worry we're gonna play it cool (laughs) and uh that's the last thing i heard going in you know so keep carry on (laughs) okay that's a key part that's a key piece of information what's that definitely far from that me me and cordon were (laughs) played it cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyway so um so we'll get to a certain point then i'll let you guys tell your experience going through so me and joe roll through and we're like okay you know everything's good we're everything's in order we got our registrations for the bikes everything's packed away we got all the bikes in one vehicle and then we had all our spare tires and a few spare parts boxes and some tools and stuff in Hayden's truck. But most, most of the race stuff was in the van. I had all the registrations. So we roll through, they pull us in for deck, you know, declaration and secondary inspection. And so we hand them the, the registrations and everything's cool. They check everything out and give them a couple t-shirts. We're BSing with the, the guards. Everything's good. And they're like, all right, you guys are good to go. So we roll through and I look over at Joe and he looks at me, he goes, man, I haven't seen Corndog and Hayden roll through yet. And I looked at him, I was like, really? He goes, yeah, I haven't seen, he goes, I've been watching. I haven't seen him roll through. I said, okay, well, no problem. Just pull up. We'll, you know, pull ahead here. We'll wait for him. So we pull like a block, a block out of the, 
and we pull out of the entry of the crossing and pull off to the right and find this little spot. And we just kind of pull in and wait. And um, <clears throat> they're not coming. They're not coming. We're like, man, what's up? Uh, about a minute later, I get a text from Corn Dog. Anyway, so I get this text that says, "Dude, they just found a bullet in the truck." Well, as you, most of you guys, if you've listened to the show, you you know that we had Dave Pearson on here, and that. Dave Pearson had a similar experience several years ago and uh, we've talked about that on the show. And so I thought Corndog was just messing with me. Like I thought, Oh no, he's pulling my leg. Right. He's just, cause I don't mess with anybody. He's giving me a hard, he's always a joking. Right. So I the same yeah. Thing. So I, I text him back. I'm like, no. And he texts me, he says, yes. And then I called you. And then he called me and I was like, dude, you're kidding. He goes, bro, all my life. I'm not joking. Well, so that, that, at that, that point, my heart dropped. Well, at that point, they started tearing the truck apart and found more. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, then, well, no, we had had hung up and then you texted me again. Dude, they just found a magazine. Anyway, so we're going to stop right there. I'm going to let you guys kind of share a little bit of your experience of what, what happened, what, what, what went down and, um, (laughs) and then we'll pick it up from there. Well, Hayden. <laughs> well, so, I don't know. It was busy. I mean, it, t- it seemed like it took us forever. Hayden and I, it's our first time to Mexico. We're, we're a little on edge anyway, but me, I'm kind of being the jokester. Keeping it light. Yeah. And Hayden's freaking out. And granted, I had never met Hayden until the night before. So I think he thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> so we finally get up there luck, luck of the draw we of course i'm taking pictures i think and posted on social media the last picture i took and posted was la- your, this is your last chance to turn last chance to turn around yeah, before yeah. the crossing <laughs> and then then i guess i went silent for a long time <laughs> anyways it was pretty quiet that entire time what <laughs> playing it cool <laughs> for both of you too like this has been on my head the whole time and i guess for your listeners hayden is in my mind hayden is a very clean cut looking guy and dave i know this isn't your lifestyle by any means but you look like a biker or could be questionable on possibly running drugs across (laughs) not to profile someone so to me you guys stood out like a sore thumb to begin with so anyways keep going but i had to drop that in there because that's been weighing on my mind the whole time and i hate to profile yeah so we're getting to the border i i guess it's time to go through and I didn't notice it, but I guess you either get a red light or a green light because everybody keeps asking me, did you get the red light? Apparently, you got the red light. So, the luck of the draw, we get singled out. We have to pull over. I'm thinking, no big deal. We're clean. We're not doing nothing wrong. They get us out of the truck, and Hayden's over there doing his thing, talking to the the policia. And I'm just outside the truck watching all the people go by. I'm people watching. I'm having a good old time. And at one point I look over and Hayden is like, like he saw a ghost. I'm like, Oh crap. So I walk over there 
And he tells me, he goes, they found a bullet in my armrest. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, I, I, I'm like, no way. And so now it's game on. And that's when I text Eric. I said, Hey, they found a bullet. He thought I was kidding. So here they come with screwdrivers. They're, they're taking the floorboards apart. They're looking at everything. Pop and trim. Anyway, I kind of walk off and there's a little table, chair, whatever. I'm sitting on that thinking, geez. I, is, you know, if we were in America, you find a bullet, it's, it's pretty common. Well, yeah, it's legal and it's no big deal, right? And I mean, so let's let's pre- preface this a little bit real quick. In, in Hayden's defense, um, you borrowed a truck from your father to go down for reliability and just trying to make sure that you had a good vehicle and stuff. So borrowed a truck, um, went down there, clean, you cleaned the truck out beforehand. I mean, the clean, the truck was pretty well groomed and swept through and stuff. And yep. you, you had removed some, some stuff at home, right? You had pulled everything out of the truck that you could. And <clears> this <throat> one, this one bullet basically was lodged between, the armrest or something in there and uh, had probably rattled loose on the trip down or something. And so it just, it, you know, it was one of those things where Hayden didn't know the, I mean, this caught both of these guys completely off guard. So I don't know if you want to say something Hayden there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think that what happened, you know, what, what happened is I, you know, I had a, had a, a box of bullets in there down and I knew that. So I, you know, I knew the laws to you know, obviously, and, you know, you'd heard people, you know, you're not obviously supposed to be carrying stuff like that across the border. So um, I, my defense is like, I, I went and I swear I grabbed every single bullet. Um, yeah. And caught under, like the penny hole armrest that you pop up. And, and that's where I was kind of caught off guard when he pulled it out. I'd almost thought he had planted it there. You know, with the, you know, I've seen that to a T and just had no idea that he had found that. And, uh, and the way he looked at me, well, I, you know, I kind of looked at him. I was like, All right. like, I thought everything was going to be fine. Clean it, you know, and then he started searching through everything and tearing everything apart. And, uh, next thing you know, it he starts eating my candy and he looks at me. You like candy, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's pretty good. I like to munch on it. So, um, and then within probably, I would say 30 seconds at that, he looks at me again with like the eyes, these piercing eyes, and just goes, You're in trouble. And like, if you've ever seen bacon, and on the phone, the dude goes, catch you or i can't remember what he said he just said says in this piercing voice that like just haunts you for the rest of your life and that goes you're in trouble and i looked over and there was a gun my heart was just like dude i'm done and then when i looked over and got closer to it i seen there's a clip what's in it i was like all right maybe it's not as bad as what I think it's going to be, but I still knew that it wasn't going to be okay. Like at that point, I knew I was in trouble. I remember getting on the phone. I remember calling 
that just to start asking them. I just remember like falling on the ground and just going, dude, I, at that point, I didn't realize what was about to take place. So, and at this point, I'm still people watching. I had text Eric, oh, it's just one bullet, no big deal. I'm just standing there. And all of a sudden, I look at Hayden again, and he's sitting down, and I could have swore he was almost in tears. And I walk up, I'm like, dude, what's up? Oh, they found a full clip of nine millimeter. What? No way. And I just now now I'm like, shit's getting real. Yeah. And and I just walked over and just sat down. That's when I called Eric, text him, swore on my life that it was going on. And then the, the police goes, You need to put your phone away. And it their whole demeanor changed. My yeah. phone went in my pocket. I don't think it came out until like 10 o'clock that night before I had to hand it over to Eric, but, um, no. so serious after yeah. that, because yeah, I mean, it went from after we'd seen that and he had, you know, I said those words of, you know, I've, I've seen the clip in the, in the back of the truck or in the back seat. Once I hit it, it was, it was legit at point and it was serious and just, you could, kept walking back and forth the corner dog and I was just like you know what do we do at this point our phone you know and they were saying don't pull your phone out and I probably pulled out my phone three or four times because everybody at that point was starting to call you know my sister was calling I you know I'd sent some texts out and I put your phone away and at one point they had sat down and they made us sit down on the curb and and and, and we like, also had the military with m16s was actually yeah. starting to form around us <laughs> and they're trying to get involved in it too and the next you know they're drilling i mean dude everything they're yanking out like the you know the change holder yanking you know they're starting to drill up the um the hard part you know the side of the door i mean it was like they were at that point they're either trying to find a gun find more bullets but literally, just like everything was getting thrown out, and got a thing too. They actually treated it pretty well. I thought it was pretty well handled for what it was. I, you know, I, I thought they were just gonna start yanking our, taking this and that. But they had they had managed that sense, um, you know. And so we had probably sat there for at least twenty. I don't know, Eric. How long did we sit there before we had given you? Yeah, it was it was uh it was probably twenty minutes um from the yeah. time Corndog initially texted me and then and then I got on the phone and started calling people. Um so real quick, <clears throat> a couple things for our listeners. So um bullets in Mexico is a federal crime, right? And so going down with, with that kind of stuff, like it's it's no joke. Um and you know, here in the U.S., it's it's pretty normal for for us to have that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, foreign countries, most other foreign countries, it's it's not acceptable. So um, that being said, basically, we had just broke a federal law, and it, it got it got real. So real quick, so Corn Dog texts me, and they text me again, dude. They just bro, they just found a clip, a magazine full of bullets. So at that point I knew they were, I knew they were in trouble. And the one thing with Mexico is 
you know, you got to handle things pretty quickly down there. And, um, the, the longer it escalates, the, the more issues you end up having, the more expensive it gets and all that. So I just knew that I had to call, um, a buddy down there from Mexico that could understand what was going on and understand the laws and kind of help us navigate the situation. So I start calling my buddy and getting some advice from him. And he's like, dude, you need to go back to the border and talk to him and figure out who's in charge. And we need to figure out, you know, what this is going to morph into, like what it's going to end up being and, and, you know, are are there fines that can be paid or what we got to do? So, um, at that point I turned to Joe and I was like, Joe, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't really know what to do, dude, but, I got to go back in there. And about that time, Corndog had called me and said, Hey, they want to talk to you and they want my passport, which Corndog had left his passport and some money in, in the van. So at that point I grabbed all the cash I could find. Um, and I had grabbed his passport and I walked back into the border crossing and, um, basically just walked in to see, what this thing was going to look like, well, right? How that came about is they pulled us inside mm-hmm. by this point. We've been, what, an hour, hour and a half at this point. No, it wasn't. This was like 20 minutes in. Like It seemed like a lot. By the time, time I got there, it was about 25, 20, 25 minutes. It, it seemed like a couple hours by now. <laughs> anyway, so they well, take us inside the building yeah. right there, and they asked me, where's your passport? I said, it's in Mexico. It already went in because <laughs> my suitcase, everything I had was in Eric's van. So all I had on me was my what I was wearing, my hoodie, and my couple sets of prescription glasses and my wallet. So Corndog throws me under the bus. <laughs> yeah. so, no. And he goes, what do you mean? I, and this is all broken Spanish. And I said, no, it, it's in the other vehicle that our, you guys already passed and he goes other vehicle yours yeah no uh, yeah yeah it's yeah so it was like perfect english he goes get your buddy back here i said good because eric is bilingual he can translate for us get him here and that's when we called you but But before that oh go ahead ahead. go ahead we were just nervous though too it's like and and on that like we me and talked to her and we're like do we call eric and have him call back you know come back but if we got Eric involved, that they were going to tear apart his van too. So in this decision, you know, this, you know that dude who that the border who got us, he's all filling out paperwork, and and obviously we can't talk to him because you know none of us, me and Spanish, and so we're like, you know, you do at this point, and when he finds. Hey, you can call your buddy and pull out your phone and talk to him. We told him that he'd speak Spanish. I sat there for a second. I'm like, well, do we pull him back though? Because what happens if we tell him this and then he goes and starts stuff too? And, and you know, one of the decisions we made. I think, I think me and Eric also, we were, I think before the call came in and I was kind of out of the van doing something, we were parked into mexicali you know we drove down like two or three yeah, miles into like, the city yeah, a little ways in for for cell service but i th- i think also like we were discussing doing the same thing anyway of like man what do we do go back and it was kind of like we're gonna 
you know, I think being good friends, I don't think a lot of people would have done it. Maybe I did miss the call and that was already happening too, but um, we kind of made a decision also, yeah, like yeah, we're, 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 going we're going back, you know, we're not going to leave them, you know, and you were talking to your buddy from down there. And, well, and that was his advice was like, dude, you need to go back to the border and talk to who's in charge. You need to figure this out quick. So I grabbed Corndog's passport. I grabbed the money and just basically headed in on foot. And I told, it was kind of weird. Like the border, there's the exit to go back to the U S and that takes you to the U S border patrol. And there's the entrance to get into Mexico. But like, I wasn't sure how to get back in there with the vehicle anyway, even if I wanted to, but I didn't really want to drive it in there because I wasn't sure what was going on. And I didn't want to subject us to even more issues with our equipment and stuff. So, um, so I was like, I just told Joe, I was like, Hey dude, park this thing on the street up here and I'm going to walk in. And it was like a block, a city block all the way in there. So I walk in there, white boy, just cruising down the, down the, border crossing walking in and i go cruising in there and i'm like i see the truck and they're stripping the truck down and it's all tossed and i don't see these guys so i like man where'd they go and as i'm walking in one of the guards sees me and he's like you looking for a couple buddies i was like yeah and he goes they're inside so i walked inside and again they had the military there oh so real quick go back so we're parked like three blocks away and I'm on the phone with my buddy in Mexico trying to figure out what to do. And here come four or five unmarked cars, just sirens and lights blaring, come ripping by us, dude. As we're talking about this thing, I'm like, well, there goes the cops for our our incident. You know what I mean? And um, so we, it was like, it, that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, man, this oh, is yeah, bad. That's right. Four or five unmarked vehicles just ripping into the border. That's right. And I'm like, dude, this ain't good. So then we right after that, yeah, we both look, yeah. Like, yeah, we look at each other and we're like, this ain't good right here. So anyway, I go walking in there and um they're inside the building and they're like they weren't cuffed up yet. They were just standing there, like, you know, waiting to be handled and discussed or whatever. So I walked up to them, I was like, Hey guys, how's it going? You guys all right? And they're like yeah dude but you know and they had the 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 military and the police had some had the bullets sitting up on the counter and like had them laid out and all filed in order and stuff and i mean it at that time i wasn't like really paying close attention to see how many but it was a lot i mean 15 16 somewhere in there is what i had thought and um anyway and then uh so i i asked him i was like hey who's in charge and so then i went and talked to the to the cop that was in charge well they had they had the normal police that's at the border but then they also had the military there so they had two agencies working this this deal and um so at that point i kind of knew that it was serious and these guys were going to jail. Um, but anyway, so I talked to the guy in charge, had him talk to my buddy, discuss some things. And then from there, um, they basically had me help read their rights to them and translate it. So the cops read them their rights and then I translated it 
from Spanish to English. Um, so for the listeners, I'm fluent in Spanish uh, from a mission that I served um, when I was younger and uh, served two years in Mexico City where I learned the Spanish language and everything. So uh, that helped a little bit here was be able to at least communicate and understand what was going on. And um, anyway, yeah, so we read them their rights and the cops basically told me they're like, hey, we're going to take them to this place and check them for any bruising and stuff like that and take pictures and then we're gonna take them to this other facility where you can meet us and um, we're gonna book them there and hold them for 48 hours while we do an investigation so can we jump back into the the hayden's point about your van being searched oh yeah oh Uh, yeah so we skimmed over that yeah we skimmed by that real quick but so I'm down the road a couple blocks and Eric hiked in and kind of down there just minding my own P's and Q's. And, uh, now, you know, police here rolls up on me. And at this point, I have no clue. Like, and the first thing that went through my head was exactly what Hayden said is now we're wrapped up in this, but honestly, I'm in Eric's van. Also, like, I don't know. I know we went down there as a team and everything together, but it's still not my vehicle and not my stuff. So I'm like, and a language yeah. barrier. Yeah, and a language barrier. And it's kind of like, man, how do I get out of this jam without, like, losing Eric's van at this point? And, um, <laughs> you know, so I so I get drugged back to the border. And uh, <laughs> through traffic, everything, you know, guys guide me with sirens and horns. Holy and shit. at this point, like, again, I have no clue what <laughs> Eric's worked out or talked about or anything. So I'm kind of feeling bad. I wing the van in there, and I see the – truck you guys are in and just thinking to myself like oh eric is gonna be pissed you know like what did i do to get caught and uh because i told joe hey stay stay out here on the street so we don't get wrapped into this thing anyway so well what happened was i talked to the guy in charge and like he's like well who are you and i was like well i'm their teammate and um you know it's their first time down and i explained to him i was like the same thing you know i explained to him what happened i was like look this this is my teammates. We're just going to race the San Felipe 250. This is a total misunderstanding. The, Hayden borrowed the truck from his dad and, you know, didn't know that bullets were in there. I was like, he, he's caught completely off guard and just, um, you know, this is, a, this is just an honest mistake. I was like, we're just here to race, man. We're not bad people. He's like, okay, well, where's your vehicle? And uh, I was like, oh, it's parked out on the street with my driver. He's like, all right, well, you stay here. Don't use your phone. And he went, got in his police vehicle and drove out to the street and found Joe. He asked me what the vehicle was. And anyway, so he went and found Joe and drug him back to the border. And then they tossed my van. They searched the, searched the van. So yeah, my head, my head was like that. And I know that, you know, like they don't like you talking on the phone, of course. So I haven't talked to Dave. I haven't talked to Hayden. I haven't talked to Eric. So at this point, when they grabbed me, I'm thinking like, the same thing you guys were thinking. And I don't know what happened to Eric. Like maybe he's like toughed up as well. Cause um, you just don't know, you know? So like getting picked up on the streets of Mexico is never good. So I'm thinking now we're like, we're done for. And his van is done for. So go back and anyways, I see the truck and uh, this is just my personality. So I, I get out and same thing that they were telling you, Hayden, like big trouble. I get out and the dudes at the door with gun and, Oh, big trouble, big trouble. Your buddy's big trouble. And I what? Look, I told you I told you guys this. I looked him right in the face. I'm like, 
I just met these guys today. <laughs> I don't know these guys, bro. I was trying to save Eric's man. Like, holy crap, dude, this ain't good. So, and then all of a sudden, I, you know, like my heart felt better when I see Eric come walking out of the doors, like, kind of like, it's Joe. Yeah, no, no, no kind of like, Yeah, he's like, oh man, it's cool. Let him search it because now I'm. Uh, we had to tear the stuff out of the van, and you had oh. came out yet. Is there like I'm pulling stuff out, and it just I don't know. It's not you know you have all them parts, all that stuff, and then just felt bad like how they get caught, dude. Like that was kind of was in my head. I'm like, <laughs> man, I've ruined the whole thing. So I just I didn't know what all you guys were even going through, <laughs> other than like the bullets. So it's kind of a, I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Yeah, it was I all just felt it, kind of it was all fluid the whole time. Yeah. But what I just say? felt bad because. I bring corn dog in on this, dude. I've never <laughs> met in my life. <laughs> no, and, and that's the same for me because I, I met you at my house in the morning, and we stopped at Corn Dogs BS, we stopped at the gas station BS, and we stopped at the Glamis and BS. And um, uh, j- just to skim back, which it'll play in later too, is you know, like we left my house in the morning and typical. You know, oh, we got to go back and grab something, which was some blankets, and that lead into later. But um, that's the most I've met you, you know. So it was yeah. kind of like I wasn't really lying, and I didn't know how much you guys were like really into at that point. Yeah. So like, and the dudes, oh, big trouble, big trouble. You know, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> not for me. I'm like, we, I'm like, dude, we just met. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, but we've known each other like oh, twenty years. Did, yeah, but. <laughs> you guys are like we don't even know this guy like <laughs> we don't know what he's into and do we actually oh, do we actually want to help him man. out at this yeah. point I, I would i being honest to your listeners like i really wasn't even looking out for myself i, I swear on everything i was looking out for eric's van i was really like <laughs> concerned he's, i'm like oh man kill me. <laughs> so anyways keep, keep pushing i guess anyway so back to getting our our uh, I guess Miranda rights or rights uh, read. To yeah. Us. So I'll give you a little bit about like the rights in Mexico. So um, you have the, uh, it was, it was similar to the Miranda rights, but basically they read them their rights and it was like, you have the right to know why you're being detained. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. If you can't afford one, the court system will appoint you one. Um, <clears throat> stuff like that. Um, and so we, we went through that whole thing and I translated the best I could. It was a, it was a little, little rough, but, um, translated that. And then they basically said, okay, we're going to take them to this other facility. And they gave, they were, the cops were actually being really respectful at that point. And they were, I mean, they were doing their job, you know, again, we had, we had broken a federal law and they were doing their job. They were being respectful of these guys. They hadn't. They hadn't even put cuffs on them yet, and um, they basically gave me address where they were going to take them, and um, said, you know, you can you can meet here. And so at that point, I I didn't really know what to do other than just work on getting a lawyer involved. I knew that we were going to need a lawyer to help us um, get these guys out, and um, so. We well, go back a little bit right after they read our rights and we signed all the papers, got our IDs and everything back. They had the bullets lined up on the counter and then they stood Hayden and I next to the counter with the bullets in between us. So you can yeah, see yeah. and the military 
started taking turns taking pictures of us. And at one point, one of them tells me, this is not for Facebook. I'm like, yeah. I'm not putting it on yeah. Facebook. I don't have my phone out. <laughs> yeah. And then, then I get this bloody nose right yeah, after they were, that. They were doing the bust picture. Like, they just made the big bust, you know. Yeah. And, um... and then I get a bloody nose on top of it. So I have, I'm asking, can I go to the Banos, Banos? And so I go clean my nose. Anyway, so they, um, yeah, from there they took them, put them in the police vehicles and hauled them off. And, let, and let... we – we got in our van and we were able to get a little bit of the stuff, clothes and a few things out of the vehicle. Um, and, uh, and then we took off and headed down to the, to the Fiscalia, which is basically a holding facility where they'll hold them and do a 48 hour investigation. So, so let, let Hayden explain the truck ride there. <laughs> Well, you know, one thing I want to caption on this as well is like, is how cool they still were. You know, they could have taken the tires and everything. They they could have made us keep everything in that truck, which we had all the sets of the wheels, all to for the race as well. So they let you know as we're talking to the guy who busted us. He's like, you know, I think he told Eric. He's like, yeah, you guys can. Or he told me at least, or something. I can't remember that part. I yeah, point, he told me grab the stuff. Yeah. out of the out of the truck that you need for the race. Yeah, because at that point I'm still, I you know, and I want to touch on. I dude, I went from crying like a little girl, thinking my pity would get me out, to when we walked into the building realizing how serious of trouble we were going to be in. And at that moment, I had to like wake up and be like, dude you got to figure your way out of here because you're even though you're only a hundred yards away from America, there's literally nobody that can save you right now besides, Oh, that's, I, that's wrong. I would say it was just, I guess being that far away from America and just being like how easy it would be just to be on the other side of that border at that point, being free to being like, you're, that's not the case right now. So, I remember just walking in and just, you know, being like, holy crap, you got to figure a way out. But back to the inside, I was a little detour. But just how cool they were about, you know, Eric still grabbing all the stuff, getting all the tires, getting the extra parts that we had to put in the truck for the race to, to continue. Um, so, yeah, I just want to touch up on. Yeah, they, they were very respectful, even when they yeah. ripped your suitcase apart. They literally folded all your stuff back, put the little strap on, closed it, zipped it up. They they were professional. They you know, it's almost as if they felt sorry for us and knew that we didn't do it on purpose. You could tell they're they're. Man, they, they told me that at one point. They're like, "Hey, look, we understand that you guys aren't bad people. You just made a mistake." But he yeah. said this. But the whole time he just he said, "This is the process." He said, "Yep." You know, and so they were super respectful and and good. Um, you know, you hear bad stories, but honestly, the, the cops, the military, everybody was very respectful and good to us. And they kind of understood, like you said, they kind of almost felt bad for us. They understood what was going on as well as we did. They just, but they had a job to do and yeah, that's what it was. So, so they, they escorted us out, still no handcuffs or nothing, but escorted us out to this military truck, <laughs> <laughs> threw us in the back seat. So. 
you got two military in the front seat, me and Hayden in the back. And on the back of the truck, they got like a, a board or whatever. So it's not a bed. You know, they, they have like a platform they stand on. There's a machine gun mounted to the hood or the roof. <laughs> There's like four military in the back of this truck with all with M16s. And we're off. We're, we're cruising through town. And. <laughs> well, and that's it almost what, you know, what it reminded me of Corndog. It reminded me of like Jurassic Park. Like, like a Jeep, you know, in the first one where it has, you know, they're, they're sitting in the back and they're all in awe and stuff. Right. That's what it was kind of like, but we're in a, like a, I don't know, a newer Dodge, a white Dodge. And you're thinking this thing's gonna, you're thinking this thing's going to be like a smooth ride. Like it's a new truck. (laughs) And it was far from that. Dude, the transmission was slapping so hard. It was, <laughs> and I was behind the driver, so I couldn't see the steering wheel. But Hayden said that the steering wheel, the guy was almost turning it completely in circle just to keep the truck straight line. The steering box was gone. It would, they were doing like 50 miles an hour, and every time the transmission would skip, it'd bring it back down to 40 miles an hour. Yeah. And it would, and clunk. then they'd catch back up. <laughs> and, and we're doing, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour through town, through traffic, got the red and blues flashing and the other, the normal traffic, they, they could care less. They weren't getting out of the way or nothing. Yeah. Like people are moving from for them and everything. And like Corndog said, dude, the whole time, I think we're going to get in a wreck because the truck is just shimmying. The dude's like holding on to the steering wheel for death, you know, for, you know, dear life. And it's just getting all <laughs> over. And I'm just like, and there's and there's three people in back of this truck as well, you know. <laughs> and so you can only imagine we're inside the truck; they're outside, so we're feeling that. I can only imagine what they're feeling on the outside of this truck. Yeah, there's so, like these roll bar things <laughs> that are in the bed of the truck, and they were all. I'm sure, those guys were uh, hanging on for dear life, holding their M16. I mean, weaving in and out of traffic. It, it was crazy. And I, I kept looking over at Hayden, and it looks like he's about to die. He, he's he's death. I he's got his phone out. I'm shit. He's on his phone. We were gonna get in trouble. So I'm I'm sightseeing. I'm like, oh look at that. There's there's a Wendy's. There's a Del Taco. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm trying to make noise or 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 whatever. So in case they turn around, they're looking at yeah. me and not Hayden on his phone. And I'm on my phone because I'm like sending texts out. I'm like, Hayden's over before there. I up, left, I, <laughs> what was that? I said, Hayden's over there. Shut up, corn dog. You're going to draw attention <laughs> to us. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'm just like sitting on my phone. I'm, uh, I'm trying to get a hold of like whoever I can to freaking not realizing there's zero service, you know, in where we're at. Um. And I'm and on the way too is like it felt like a lifetime. I'm thinking like this gel is just down the street. And during and when this is completely at night, all we can hear is music all night. Like everybody's having a party except for me and Corndog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wait, I think I was having a little bit of party. Were you? No, you weren't, dude. No, you weren't. (laughs) You should have. You should have seen your face. <laughs> oh. Corn dog was getting his Baja story, dude. Yeah, dude. He, he just didn't know it at the moment. Well, 
from that time until later on in the story, I kind of put all my feelings aside because I knew. Yeah, you were pretty light till they locked you in the cell. Well, you didn't like that. I, even then, I put all my feelings aside and kind of fathered Hayden, basically, <laughs> to a point. But so you fathered him. Yeah, pretty much. We bonded. We we definitely <clears throat> there wasn't a dull moment in uh, Mexican cell with corn dog. <laughs> so we get to this facility after it seemed like 45 minutes of drive and it was probably 10 minutes but we get to this facility and they march us in and it's like it's like all the criminals or all the people that have been arrested around mexicali and it was rough in there it was it was it was a little scary i think there was you could tell there were some people that were drunk or drugged or mental or just who knows what? And they called us to this window, Hayden first, and they were questioning him, you know, and I don't know how, how they were able to communicate with us. And then I can't hear as it is. So then they, then I see him go off into this other little room, like crap. And they called me the window and they're asking me my name and where I was born. And then I get, I have to go stand to wait in this room and I can kind of see what's going on in there, but there was another guy in there and they had him like stripped down to almost nothing. I'm like, great. I'm going to get stripped down. And Eric had actually told us before we left, he goes, yeah, you guys are getting taken down there. You guys are going to get strip searched. You're going to have to stand in front of everybody, butt naked. <laughs> yeah. Like whatever. That's what they do when they book you. <laughs> Standard process. Bend over, spread them, and all that crap. Anyway, I get this room, and I and I guess it's a doctor. He's got a mask on. I can't understand him, but I guess he was trying to ask me if I was well. I'm like, yeah, I'm well. I'm well. All of a sudden, I get escorted back outside to the truck. Hayden's in the truck, and we're like, that was, that was weird. All of a sudden, here goes the, the joyride again, heading back to the border i guess is where we were going and that's where we went and uh we get back to i guess the back of the building from where we had left earlier and we just we spent like what hayden two hours sitting in the back of that truck but eric <clears throat> came by and yeah like yeah on the way you know yeah we went to a different place and on the way over there, I'm like, well, they told us that we're going to go through all this stuff. I'm thinking that Eric has done the, you know, which he did. But I'm thinking on the way back, like, we're good. Like, we're heading back to the border. It's all taken care of. And next thing you know, yeah, we're at a different building where all these military dudes are. We're talking probably, I would say, 25 or so. Yeah, there's several trucks lined up yeah. out there. And, and so we're... Yeah. We're just kind of sitting there. Eric got to come up and talk to us. And this about this time, I finally chance pulling my phone out. I think I sent like four texts, one of my brother, sister, my buddy, just telling them, hey, it's not good. I'm under arrest. I'm going to jail. No idea when I'll talk to you again, but so far I'm okay. And then my phone went back, back in my pocket. But at least in, at least in Mexico, like you can do that. You know, yeah. an American jail would have been kind of one, one phone call and a pay phone. And... So at this point, we're just sitting in the truck, no handcuffs. Finally, I got to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom. Banos, Banos. They pulled me out of the truck. Now I'm handcuffed just to go to the bathroom. First time in my life I've been handcuffed. And it's to go to the bathroom. 
And so just cute. to add on top of that, on our way down, Corn Dog had a very deep convo with me about how he had never been handcuffed in his life before and we got to the border. Was, before we went to the border, and he was very proud of that. So I, 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 when I went in the building at the border, I was going to touch on that a while ago, and it's, I'm glad you said that too, Aiden, because I just walked in, you know, getting the parts out of the truck, seeing Eric use the bathroom, seeing you two in there. And I remember you're sitting there in a Yamaha sweater and you're like, first time in my life I've ever been in cuffs. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I just started busting up laughing and got a nervous laughter and kind of how to walk away. And uh, I, you know, my wife's known you forever too. And I, I ended up calling like, man, it ain't good, you know, but she's kind of like, how are you laughing? I'm like, well, there's nothing else I can do other than laugh. But I'm like, poor dog's never been in handcuffs apparently. And again, judging a, Profiling him, he looks like he's probably been in a couple sets. <laughs> Only in the bedroom. <laughs> I would have thought you'd so, been in a few sets so, in your life. So, yeah. And on this note, we're laughing, we're joking. I was in the moment. I was trying to keep Hayden in a different thing. It's totally not a laughing matter. I mean, we can look back at it now and and laugh about it, but it was very serious. Very, I mean you guys have no idea how close it was for us never coming home. Anyways, we do. I think we got a pretty good idea, (laughs) but uh, we had, we had, we had a while to analyze it, but yeah. yeah, So basically, um, basically the, the process was that they, they go to this 48 hour holding facility. They'll do an investigation on the, on the situation. This is what I'm kind of being told. And, and as much as I understand through, you know, Spanish, English, all this, um, most of my interactions were in Spanish. And, um, I guess when you're dealing with law and stuff like that, there's some words that I don't know. And so it was, you know, I was, I was working my way through it, I guess you could say, but basically what I could pick up was that they go to this facility for a 48 hour hold. And they do an investigation on this on the situation, and then from there they'll determine on <clears throat> whether they'll release them or if they'll um, hold them until you know a court date. And um, that's one of their other rights was basically you're innocent until proven guilty. And um, so I was kind of happy to hear that. And then um, anyway, we went through that whole process, and I guess after you guys got checked and did they do photos or just checked you out? Not until we got back. Not until we were at the, the other facility. Break, yeah. So, yeah. So I guess I was at the other facility kind of <clears throat> waiting for them to show up and just in hopes to kind of at least keep tabs and know where they were going to be detained and, um, you know, start working on figuring out how to, how to go about getting them out. So anyway, we ended up, uh, through score, we had, we had a lot of people making phone calls, but through score, I think scores attorneys recommended an attorney and that's kind of what we ended up with. Um, and so we got that attorney showed up to kind of discuss things and figure out what had happened and so we gave them the story of like what, what happened and how, you know, it was an accident and this and that. And, um, 
meanwhile, these guys were, these guys finally showed up like two hours later. I had been sitting there for a while and finally they showed up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, dude, that took forever. By that time it was dark outside. So it was getting fairly later. Um, yes, between seven and nine o'clock it was, it was getting late. And, um, and then they just kind of held these guys in the vehicle for quite a while. So I went out and talked to them and, um, anyway, then finally it seemed like a couple hours in the truck, just waiting for, to be processed and stuff. And then finally they took us, took us all in and, and, uh, processed them and, um, got all their information, pictures, tattoos and all that stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, I was able to snap a, a quick picture of the boys in cuffs and anyway, then, so we go through that whole deal and I'm helping the guy kind of get their information. Cause there was a bit of a language barrier. So I'm translating. And so they let me in to translate and, um, I'm sitting there helping them you know, type in the information and tattoos and all this stuff, <laughs> book them. And, um, and then they, they let us, uh, okay. So we go into the, we go into the facility where they're going to lock them up, right. Where all the. Before that, when they were doing the pictures and the thing, they took our shoelaces they took any oh, jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> they took the string out of our hoodies. Um, I mean, they took every. And then they said, put your wallets and your phone and everything right here. And they said, you can either leave it here on the desk or you can let Eric take it. And we're like, oh, no, Eric's taking everything. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, so I had a hoodie pocket full of stuff. Yeah. Mean, just, yeah. walking back down the street yeah 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 separated so yeah so joe so i had joe wait in this parking lot around back um there's like a movie theater parking lot like it's a it's a good block and a half away that i had to walk through town in the middle of the dark yeah. with all their stuff alone in the downtown mexicali i mean it was a little sketchy and uh, the best area. yeah it was yeah. <clears throat> and even the van, like uh, sitting out there, that would, like I don't know how much money you had in the van, but three bikes, Some all the stuff. gear, all the parts, everything, mm-hmm. the money we had, of course. But I mean, that was my thoughts the whole time. Just you know, it's being eyeballed, like sitting we had no business being where we where we had the van. So yeah, kind of yeah. sucked, but it it is what it is, you know. So they brought us into another office and we're sitting there. I think we're trying to fill out paperwork and Hayden's like, I don't understand this. We need Eric. I'm not signing nothing until I have Eric. So Eric finally comes up and he actually brought us tacos. So yeah. Good. So they told me I could bring him some dinner cause they hadn't eaten all day, and, all day really or snacks. in quite a while. So I, I got him some tacos, brought that up, fed them. And then, yeah, they wanted me to translate and help them do book all the paperwork and book them and everything. So we go through that whole thing. And then, um, before we, and get... then, well, hold on. So we do go through that whole thing and then we take them into the, the jail, like where the cells are. The and the guy goes, he goes, so just to let you know, like we've, we moved a couple inmates and put everybody else kind of together so that these guys can have their own cell. And so they'll be in the same cell together, um, but no, not in like general population with everybody else. They'll be in their own 
holding cell. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So then they, I just remember they open this big steel door and they swing it open and we walk in and the stench was just horrendous, dude. Like hit you in the face and about knocked you over. And I was like, that's when it got real. I was like, these poor (laughs) buggers are getting locked up in this facility, like in here, dude. And like, I was just, oh, I I was like, I couldn't wait to get out of there. It was so bad. You didn't. You couldn't wait to get out of there. (laughs) I was just so glad I wasn't going to the cell. I'm glad you had. I don't know if I can handle this stench, dude. (laughs) Because that was the opposite of what I was thinking. You poor suckers, dude. I was like, these poor guys gotta (laughs) sit in here and just just dwell in this. It was Uh, so dude. So anyway, um, real quick. So they he opens the cell and like. Puts them, puts the two of them in there, and he he takes the cuffs off. So yeah, they had him cuffed at this point. So he takes the cuffs off, and walks them in there, and it's like a concrete bed, like concrete platform, just coming off the wall. And there was two of them, like bunk beds, but it was just a six-inch thick concrete, like cold slab, yeah, slab, and that was their bed. And so. The guy did tell me when I when I brought him dinner, he's like, "You can bring him a blanket too if if you have one, because we don't have any blankets and it's it's a little cold and hard on the thing." So, anyway, they were being super cool, but um, we're let's take a little break and we'll come back and me and Hayden will get into our cell time. All right, we'll take a quick break. <laughs> Be right back. Catch you in a minute, Hayden. Okay, sounds good. All right, we are back. Hayden, you there? we're here baby let's go all right so got corn dog eric hayden roberts and joe laveri sitting in again uh thanks for coming back with us everybody we took a small break there anyways where'd we leave off oh yeah we were we were being put in the cell so like eric was saying it was it was like a concrete bench and then above it was another concrete slab that just came out of the wall so um and the stench and the smell was horrific it was like backed up sewage or something i don't know so it was worse than that <laughs> to describe the cell a little bit more at the foot of the bed or the what, what what i called the head of the bed was where the the bars of the cell was and the other end there was like a little half pony wall and on the other side of that was like a toilet and a sink combination stainless steel it was all one unit and then over in the corner was like a shower. Um, anyways, immediately I said, Hayden, I'm going to the bottom. You're younger. You can climb. <laughs> anyway, he, he looks up there and we look up there. There's like a half a bar of soap. <laughs> the first thing I said to Hayden was, hey, do you know why they use liquid soap in prison? <laughs> Takes longer to pick up. Yeah, anyway, that's how our. <laughs> I think I left him with a word of wisdom. Every good celly sleeps on their belly. <laughs> oh, dude. Oh. So, um, luckily, oh. when Eric, when Eric brought us tacos before we got put in there, he brought us a couple blankets. So we each had a blanket, and um, so we were in. We were in it for the night, I guess. It was what. 11, 12, 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock. Real quick, dude, on your blankets. That's where I met Hayden. <laughs> we're getting ready. We're leaving my house. He's never been, I don't think he's ever been around here, which we're small anyways, but take off. And 
thank goodness me and Eric were like, oh, because we we're going to stay at our friend Anna's house. It's like, oh, we don't know what we got. We got to the end of Calini, flip a Yui, go back home. I'm like, oh, I got some blankets, you know. So, thank, thank, you know, luckily we made that decision yeah. to go back and grab them blankies. But, um, you yeah, know, I all... think Hayden's kind of like, what are these guys doing? We're already turning around doing Yui's here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess we crawled up in bed. And if anybody knows me, I go everywhere with my pillows. I don't have no pillows. So I'm, it's like, that's the worst thing in the world. I don't have no pillows. I'm, I'm in jail, whatever, locked up with this kid I just met yesterday, but I have no pillows. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't know about the smell, but it, I guess we just got used to it. But um, my shoe makes a good pillow. Improvise. <laughs> um, Anyways, uh, we're, I don't know if we're in shock or what, but like I said earlier, I kind of put my feelings and everything aside to, to, I don't know, to what's the word father Hayden or, or counsel him or make sure he was all right. Cause I could tell he wasn't good. Well, corn dog just made it super light because back to, Back to Eric's deal is walking in. Eric got that smell, that ringy, just disgusting smell. He's going, well, I'm glad I don't have to stay here tonight. And that was totally opposite of what I'm thinking. I think that's when I it hit me going, dude, this is like real life. Like the worst smell in the entire world. I, so backstories, I, I served my mission in Russia. And when you got on trains in Russia – it was the nastiest, smoky, smell like poop smell in the entire world. Like, nastiest smell in the world. I've never felt like that until I walked into that jail cell again and realized I was in a third world country. I'm about to spend not just 30 hours, but probably longer than that, as that is what I was thinking at that point. And the good thing I had on my side was that Eric sent Corndog with me. <laughs> to be to be my father through the next 30 hours so hayden we get we're in the truck after eric got you guys booked and did the booking on you and uh anyways he comes out to the van and, you know we're kind of just trying to get through this as well and um he, he told me the quote about every good celly sleeps on their belly yeah and i'm kind of like no you didn't you know and so uh we're sitting there for a minute and you guys are locked up in the cell and we're kind of just, you know, discussing everything, thinking about everything and looked at Eric and I'm like, man, cause I, I, I'm kind of known for having a mouth on me. And so I'm like, man, I'm just kind of keeping it kind of cool and whatever. Cause I'm like, this is very surreal right now. Cause of what you just said, I'm like, that could easily be me like in there. Cause that decision was on last minute or whatever, just however fate played out. Cause, and then we talked about it in there. I, I, I would not have been like a good cellmate, like just due to my experiences in like life and work. I would have no, no, I would have been, it would have been horrible. So like you said, it's, it's better. It played out the way it played well, it was out. Horrible for us too, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you were able to, you were making good time of it now in a good situation. We were, it just worked out better that way. So, well, 
so I just remember we we booked these guys in. They took the cuffs off. They walked in, and when he shut that door and turned the key, it felt like an eternity that he just locked that door. And we walked out, and um, then they locked the main door. And I was just like, man, those poor buggers, dude. I got to get them out. You know, that's all I could think because I got to get these guys out of here. So, um, you know, at that point, they basically kicked me out. They told me I could bring breakfast in the morning. I guess they feed them, but the food's not very good. <laughs> so <laughs> so he, he was like, you can bring them breakfast if you want. And I'm like, okay, cool, man. The, you know, this whole time the, the cops were being super cool. Um, they let me in there to translate and everything was good. They let them have a blanket and everything. And so I'm like, cool, dude, I'll, I'll bring them breakfast in the morning and, um, I'll let you tell them, I'll let you guys tell you about their, uh, meal experience. But, um, basically <clears throat> real quick, I went back out, walked out and as soon as I left the facility, like it was, um, you know, it was a building holding facility, but then on the outside there was a big, uh, security gate with a security shack <laughs> and so to get even get into the facility you had to go through the security gate well so i walked out and got out the gate <clears throat> and um at this point kind of you know made my way back to the van and spent the night with joe in the in the van in a parking lot in the middle of mexicali sketched out at this point i was wide awake just couldn't even think about sleeping and i was like joe dude you might as well catch a couple hours of sleep if you can i'll i'll stand guard you know watch the just keep keep post on the van for a minute and it's like i'll try to sleep tomorrow at some point and so anyway that's kind of what we did we talked but joe and i talked about the situation quite a bit what we were going to do to get him out and like it was it was so hard because like <laughs> the only thing we could do was like other than cry was just laugh man like we were out there just kind of kind of like what the heck are we doing like i never in my life thought i would find myself in that situation i mean i just just never thought it would happen to us no, you know and, my, you like we were talking to my wife on speaker for a minute and i remember you even telling her like carmen like i'm not like i i've what you just said, like, I should never be in this situation. Like, yeah, I never saw never. myself. I never saw <laughs> this happening. Like, Eric, I just know he'd be like a good dude and all this. Yeah. So, and no, and no, bl- no yeah, and no blame. And it was a complete accident. So, no, we're not no, saying exactly. anything negative there, Hayden. It's just, you know, I mean, it could happen no. to anybody. Yeah. And being just a straight up accident, it was what it was. But man, we were, it was real. You know, yeah. we, were, we were in that situation. Yeah. No, 100%. Yeah. No blame to anyone. I mean, it's just kind of like you say, it was like, <laughs> How do we get them out? What do we do? You know, I, I do think I still stand by this. Most people would have just bailed on you guys. I, I really do think there ain't too many people like hanging in the in the cut, and especially Eric. Like I mean, going in there and negotiating and doing all that and trying well, to get and, you guys out. And that's you know? the thing. Like there was a lot of uh, back and forth with the with the lawyers and working on like, well, how do we get these guys out? A lot of negotiation and discussions and. I'm not going to go into detail in any of that, but, um, you know, we had really good lawyers who I, I felt like they had our best interest, um, you know, and they, and they were being straight up and honest with us and, and they worked hard to, to get these guys out. But, um, anyway, it was, it was real, man. It was scary. It was tough. 
stayed up all night, didn't get any sleep. And, um, and so then the next morning, uh, it was pretty early and I was still awake. I'm like, Joe, dude, let's go find some breakfast for these guys. It was like probably six, six thirty. Yeah. So we start milling around town, looking for somewhere to get breakfast. And we sat at the Burger King for like an hour, over an hour waiting for it to open and then realized it was never going to open it was something they had like chains on the doors and stuff and anyway we ended up going to uh jack in the box carl's jr Jr. was it carl's jr okay so we ended up going to carl's jr and found some breakfast burritos and some breakfast sandwiches and stuff and some coffee and um took it back and well before we even got that well hold on let me let me get to the point where um, we get to the gate and then we'll go back. But so I, I get all that food and I take it to the gate and there's a different security guard out there and everything's locked up. And I'm like, Hey, uh, can I bring breakfast into the guys? They said I could bring them breakfast. And he goes, who said you could bring them breakfast? And I was like, well, they told me that, you know, we could drop some breakfast off and maybe I could chat with the guys for a minute. And he's like, no, no. And we, so, yeah, like we the just talked about that in the van, like situation yeah. may have changed now. Yeah. We so the whole over there. yeah, the whole attitude changed, and it was like closed off. And you ain't coming in. Like you can maybe pass it through and get them. You know. Anyway, anyway, it was it was uh, at that point I didn't know which direction this was going to go and if we were going to even be able to get them out. And I mean, we knew the reality of the situation and that it was an accident, but. Also, the reality was these guys could, these guys were facing six months to five years in Mexican prison for this crime. And so um, I just knew I had to do everything I could to get them out of there uh, if if possible. So, anyway, all right. So we can jump back to your dinner and whatever else you you guys (laughs) did while you were in there. So, (laughs) So, the smell, the smell was horrid. And I don't know if we got used to it or if it kind of faded away a little bit and I don't know how much sleep we got that night. I know maybe a couple hours here and then we'd get up and tell stories and uh, anyway about, and we have no clock, no, no sense of time, light, nothing. And I think we were asleep and all of a sudden we heard some noise going on. Then all of a sudden we smelled this other smell. (laughs) <laughs> they come in i guess a maid come in and they've got like poured like two gallons of fabuloso out there in the hallway in our not in our cell but right outside the gate or the bars entry or whatever the bar, yeah, entry to the cells and she's just mopping away dude and we're about ready to pass out from fabuloso now <laughs> and then then they throw us a broom here sweep sweep so we're cleaning our own, or Hayden's doing it, cleaning our own cell. And then right after, or the one guy goes, are you guys hungry? And we're like, yeah, okay, yeah. They bring us these. Is this in the morning or at night? In the morning. Like the next, uh, we assume it's morning. Oh, so there's no wind. Yeah, because there was no window. Yeah. No concrete. You can't really tell if it was there. There was a window way up high in like this, but, and it did get a little light, but oh, still yeah. not much. We have no idea what time the sunrise is. What you know is—is is it right. eight in the morning or noon? Whatever. So he goes, "Are you guys hungry?" We're like, "Yeah, okay." And he brings us these 
like Lunchables. <laughs> and they're hot. And they're all white. And they have a white front, you know, the thing you peel off. And it's got a and they have a pig. They have a pig on them, too. Yeah, there was a picture of a pig, and it was all written in Spanish. So I'm like, no clue. Oh, pork. Yeah. So we, we, I opened it up. Hayden's looking at me, and I open it up. And here's our third smell. <laughs> it was it was pretty horrid so there was like mush something meat had to have been pork and there was like these little tiny dice what i think are potatoes and then they had this other stuff it looked like mashed potatoes but why would they have diced potatoes and mashed potatoes I had no idea so i take a little taste of each one and i'm like nope and hayden didn't even open his up i couldn't even finish it and like five minutes later, this guy comes up to the guard uh, to the gate, the bars, and he has he has our has a bag says Carl's Jr. on. I'm like, oh, cool score, <laughs> and it doesn't really fit through the bars, and he's just shoving it through. So I don't know. Anyway, it comes through one coffee and one coke. So we're sitting there eating, sharing a coke, <laughs> sharing a coffee. We get done. We're telling more stories. We're sitting there. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Hayden, I think I got to poop. <laughs> he goes, me too. <laughs> well. That's when you really become a Sally, bro. He's going to watch your Sally take a poop for the first time. Well, we, we sat there and held it for like 20 minutes. I know we're in pain holding it. After a taco last night. Coffee, Coke, Carl's Jr. <laughs> and I finally said, you're going to have to turn around. I can't hold it. <laughs> but, so I get on there. I do my thing. I get up. I wasn't off that toilet 30 seconds and Hayden sitting on it. <laughs> warmed it up for him. I, that's what I was doing, corn dog. I was just waiting for you to warm it up for me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we've bonded. We've pooped together now. Oh my god! So, um, it 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 seemed like we were in there for days. You know, we have no clue time. Uh, every once in a while, a lawyer would show up. Hey, we'll be back in a couple hours. We'll talk. We're working on things. And then every time he would come in and talk, Hayden would get all bent out of shape again, and he would like fall back down, pacing the floor. And he would just lean on the, the bar, the cell bars, and look down the hallway to the big metal door. And there's a little window on that. And he'd just be staring like a puppy dog. I'm like, come on, man. Sit down. Let's tell a story. <laughs> <laughs> I got a story for you. Yeah. <laughs> so Hayden knows quite a bit about me and my background now, probably more than a lot of people. And um, uh, yeah. Go ahead, Aiden. What do you I got? was just going to say that's what happens when you spend over 30 hours in a cell with somebody. And, yeah, you, you have no idea when you're going to leave. And you, you don't know if you're ever going to leave. <laughs> so, yeah. And we're clueless. I mean, yeah, we're getting little naps here and there and sleep here and there. Um, well, at this point, our communication is completely cut off. Yeah, they're not yeah. letting me back in. These guys don't have a cell phone, so they don't know if we're. They don't know if I'm still out there working to get them out. 
yeah, we I don't know play. if they're doing all right. I mean, I assume they are because they're locked up. But so well, it, to yeah, your... it, got, it got tough, especially for them. Even yeah, though we your... were locked up, I it almost sounds like Joe and Eric were having a harder time out. Out, they're free, but they're not free. They're you know their buddies are in jail. We're tied to this situation, and dude unbelievable thanks you guys are my heroes for not leaving not leaving the site because we still had three hours of drive to get to where we were going racing i, I said the next morning too like this is for real too like me and eric before we went to get to carl's jr we were sitting across from the jail staring at the parking lot if i, if I remember right, there's some little windows in there but evidently you guys weren't near one and i told eric again i'm like dude so surreal like could be me and dave could be or me and corndog could be in different situations. different situations right here right now because that's that's for real you know and uh i i remember telling jim like even mm-hmm. if i was in there like even though that like, you guys can't see us and be like man my buddy's like better be out there you know like even though there's not, you know what i mean because that especially being in mexico in a foreign land and then well, people are out there waiting for you is you know yeah we had that conversation like Dude, if that was us in there, we would want somebody on the outside mental thing working for us. Yeah. Right. So I told Joe, I was like, we're not leaving until we get them out. Period. Yeah. No, we weren't. So well, and that's yeah. what I could feel the entire time while I was in jail is back to your point, Eric, is like you could tell, you know, how nice they were at first with us. And well, and they were nice along the whole entire way, you know, no doubt. But you just tell that once you're in there, they kind of broke the separation away from us like while i was in there i could feel that you know that they weren't going to let you come in it was almost like they're almost in a sense trying to break the trust away from us in a sense yeah there's a lot of like uncertainty from my end because i was just like dude this is gnarly right now man like there was a lot of trust needing to be in all parties of this. And the one thing I knew the entire time is I was like, dude, I know for sure Eric's not leaving. Well, and I told I you guys that when, when they locked you up, yeah. I was like, all right, boys, just know I'm not leaving until I get you out. Yeah. That was, the, that was one of the last things I told him. You did say that. but And it was, dude. But you could just tell, like, when you went to bring the, you know, the breakfast in the morning, they, you know, they had said that, they're going to let you bring it in and they wouldn't. Yeah. I could feel that like, yeah, things change. Things have changed real fast yeah. at a certain degree. Things were changing real fast. So it kind of goes back to, and this goes to anybody that ever has this experience. And hopefully this is kind of what the podcast or, you know, gets out of is just, you got to work quick because things, things change real fast down there. And you could tell that. And being in the cell, you could feel that as well. And you just, you got to work quick in the, in this situation. Yeah. Kind of what I've been told is the, the longer things go on, the harder it is um, to handle it and it gets more expensive. Um, anyway, basically, uh, basically these guys were sitting in there. They didn't know when they were going to get out. And this whole time, like we could see things were starting to change and I just knew I had to, I had to keep 
working with the lawyer to, to see what we could do to, you know, to get him out. But, um, he was able through, through some of the situations and things that happened, um, and some of the circumstances that he was able to work through it and help us get him out. And he, he, the lawyer did everything they said they would do. Like he was super straight up and honest and worked his butt off to get these guys out. And, um, you know, to the credit of them, the lawyers and the cops, um, you know, the cops were just doing their job. Again, we had, we had broken a law and the cops were just doing a job and it was, uh, just going through that legal process, Mexico's legal process to get them out. And so we went through that whole thing. And finally, um, that, that basically late that next evening, um, you know, we were able to get the release papers signed by the state and it got pushed through and everything worked out and, uh, we were able to get them out. And then, uh, they kind of released them on their own recognizance, um, uh, through some circumstances and things that we worked through with the lawyers, but, um, they were able to release them and we were able to go on down to, to San Felipe and race. Um, and, Hayden was able to go back down a month later and take care of his court case, actually face the judge in court. It was a real live court deal and, and worked through it where, where we got uh, six months probation. Can't, you know, can't uh, screw up again down there in any way. And then basically he was cleared to, to be released and, and can go back down and race and, still go down there so the lawyers did a really great job again the cops worked through it but man it was so stressful being on the outside and i'm sure it was equally or more stressful being inside not knowing knowing that you're facing you know possibly a couple of years in mexican prison and yeah and these guys were in again they were in a 48-hour holding facility so they weren't in the the actual like mexican prison yet they were just in a you know, federal holding facility for, for the investigation stuff. And luckily we were able to, to get them out and go through the legal process, but it could have easily turned into a couple of years in Mexican prison. Well, they made it clear. They made it clear at the beginning, like if basically that, like you got 48 hours to come to figure out and work with your attorneys or 48 hour mark, you kind of burnt. They're going to, yeah. Yeah. Then they're going to a, a court process and, all that so we knew we were working against time we knew we had to figure this thing out and luckily we had good attorneys that had dealt with it before and you know some of you guys might be thinking well man these idiots you know everybody knows you don't go down to mexico with bullet blah, blah blah again two things it was an accident unknown uh, you know um hayden didn't know they were in there and and um and all that, but basically, you know, you got to respect the, the country and what you're going into. And, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to jump back a little bit, a couple more cell stories. And then we, then, then we, then we can jump into the rest of the week and our racing and stuff. But, uh, I know, they ended up bringing us tacos for lunch, I guess it was. 
yeah. And we each got four tacos. And I don't remember if we got a drink or not. They did bring us a couple bottles of water. But I think that was from the, the prison itself. And there was like four cells there, three or four cells. And the other cells were full of people, three, four, five people in each cell. And uh, they were Spanish. They were speaking Spanish. And I remember Hayden plowed right through his four tacos. And I don't usually eat a whole lot. So I ate two of them and they were good. And all I can hear is over there from the other cells, hungry, hungry, tacos tacos and i they could smell them yeah and they they walked by him so they knew we had them and so i almost gave my other two tacos passed them down and i'm thinking no i don't want to get in trouble for feeding them and two i don't know if i'm ever going to eat again so i'm saving them and my next meal is yeah <laughs> and so we saved them i ended up eating them later on but um that was that and then um what else was i going to say you guys ever get to Did, talk about how the cellmates yeah. wanted the tacos? What's that, Hayden? Just say, talk about how they started asking you for the tacos because everybody was hungry in the cell. Yeah, that's what I said. Tacos, tacos. Uh, and um, so there was that. And then we were sleeping on and off. And there was times that pay, uh, Hayden was pacing. I'm like, listen, you're racing on the team. You're still racing. Get down and give me 20. So I had him doing push-ups and sit-ups throughout throughout the whole thing and <laughs> uh, yeah we were in training and i like, felt like i was in a low-key gel cell trying to be rocky getting ready for a race in a gel cell <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, yeah. and then moving on i the lawyer came in one more time okay we'll be back nine eight nine ten o'clock but while he was standing there talking those the times would just be so way different but I, we thought we were done. We thought we were staying. And it was only, this is what, Saturday? I think it was Saturday. So we're thinking we're in there until Monday now. Yeah. And anyway, so we're, that last three or four hours was rough. I, I remember going down, I was kind of taking a nap. And all of a sudden, something started banging. I mean, just boom, boom. I'm like, what the Hayden's over there trying to tear the toilet apart. He swears to God there's a man under the toilet. Dude, there was, dude. <laughs> there was. There was some there trying to make us go crazy. <laughs> so it was water hammers, what it was. And so I'm giving Hayden plumbing lessons and how plumbing works. And <laughs> and it they probably don't have a P trap. That's probably what the smells bang, from. Bang, bang. Anyway, that last three hours was tough. I the banging was going on, the smell was back. The, the smell that stench came back and finally the door opens and we i think i had just fallen asleep and i it, no both of us did because we, at that point i think we both realized it had gotten so late and it was so because the thing was is the guard kept coming in and telling us the time yeah we'd have to ask him time. oh and i don't know how many times we got pulled out of the cell to take mug shots and fingerprints and yeah and are the whole list again about our what we were wearing and our tattoos and there's a whole other story there but several times doing that but the lawyer finally comes in we're like oh great now what he goes you guys are free dude i think it was less than two seconds we had the blankets folded up and our shoes on and we were walking out and 
and I was just on a mission. I was walking out and I heard the, all the other cellies doing or saying something. Ben and Hayden, tell us what they were doing. The cellies? Yeah, the other the other cellmates, yeah. they were singing. So, yeah, they, I mean, as we're walking out, they're basically, uh, we got the Don't Worry, Be Happy by Bob Marley. Yeah, they kept singing that. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> and I don't remember. I remember hearing something, but I couldn't make it out. I was just on a mission. So we get downstairs. I think we had to sign some papers. We see Eric. And it still hasn't hit me. And we get outside. I see Joe. I see Eric. Um, I think the lawyer was there. Mike, Mike was there. And that's when it hit me. And I almost wanted to jump down and kiss the ground. I teared yeah. up. I mean, it, now it's all hit me because super free. That did that really just happen? And uh, anyway, every Mike gives us a hug and he goes, "Dude, get away from me! You yeah. stink! You guys stunk so bad. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> oh my god! We gosh, brought but... the stink with us. Yeah, but man, so we we did our thing and we jumped in the van and um, of course they still had the trucking impound, so we're all in the van. Hardly any room. It was one in the morning now. Yeah, it was one o'clock. Wow. And yeah. um, anyways, we're hearing stories of, and I'm still hearing stories even tonight that we hadn't heard because we were locked in a box. We had no idea what was going yeah. on the outside. So it's one in the morning. We still got a two and a half, three hour drive down to San Felipe to, to get into the house we're staying at. And we're all tired. We're all thinking, okay, we're doing nothing tomorrow. We're not testing. We're just going to regroup and relax. So we, we finally get down to the house, check in and it's like paradise. It's, it was amazing. And, um, kudos Joe or Eric, whoever got that hooked up for us. But, um, your friend, Anna, uh, yeah, big, big thanks to Anna. And then they're telling us, well, the beach is right there. I'm like beach. I didn't realize <clears throat> we were on the ocean or the sea of Cortez the inner inner coastal thing and anyway plenty of beds dude we just crawled in bed and slept and woke up and saw the sun rise out my bedroom window on the beach and dude i'm in paradise it's way better than that concrete bed (laughs) and uh anyways we i don't even remember what all we did that morning but next thing we know taylor's down there and he calls and he goes guys we're going testing you guys need to test because you're tired and when you're racing, you're going to be tired. So now's the time to do it. So he took a shower, loaded up and went testing. Go, let's go back to you to when we left real fast. So we leave, Cause you've never been to Mexico. I don't think Hayden had ever been to Mexico. Me and Eric both have, and we pick you up out of the jail. We're like, man, we got to get out of Mexicali. Like me and Eric kind of like, we don't have any more business being here. It's time to go. So we made, you know, we're going San Felipe. And we get going halfway, and I think we were talking about the jail, and you guys stunk to, like, high heaven. Like, like you could really smell it coming off of you. And I remember telling you something. We were talking about the jail or something. I'm like, oh, wait, it ain't over. I'm like, we still got a a military checkpoint. You know, it's honestly, like, we're on roads. You really should not be on at nighttime. Like, really, you know. Yeah, between Mexicali and San Felipe at that hour of night, you got no business being there. I mean, we... Yeah. But we had no business in Mexicali either. No. We had to get where we were going. <laughs> Anyways, corn dogs like, no, man, you serious? I'm like, 
he thought I was joking with him. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm very serious. I'm like, we're yeah. about to be, you know, it's just yeah. standard practice down there, and they're there for your protection. But yeah. it is a little sketchy, especially when you just – There was some PTSD. You made it a hundred feet into Mexico and ended up in a jail cell. <laughs> You're gonna be rolled back through. There was some PTSD going through the El Chinero checkpoint. Yeah. <laughs> kind of classic, you know. But I think I slept once we got out of Mexicali and on the highway there for a little bit. Joe was driving. That was the first time I'd slept in two days, and uh, man, it was whew, it was brutal. But yeah, we got it. We got down to San Felipe early in the morning i don't know three o'clock in the morning or something got situated got to bed got a little bit of sleep and then we got up that next morning i told the boys man i need to go to church so i went to church for a minute and then uh we went out and tested and um yeah we were tired but went went and rode our section a little bit and tested the bikes out and then the next day monday we decided to do a full day of just suspension testing, try and dial in our shock and suspension. Well, that um, first day you see you tested, me and Joe go back. Actually, I was driving Mike's truck with Mike's wife. Because mm-hmm. um, we, we pre-ran our, the start. Remember, we pre-ran the first 70 miles. Yeah. So that's when you hit the so, Yeah. Yeah. So we pre-ran Sunday. We pre-ran the first 70 miles, of course. And we were maybe like 18 to 20 miles in and kind of came through this gravelly wash that was flowy kind of arcing from side to side and kind of came in to, to cross back over and I clipped this big old rock, maybe like a six or eight inch tall square edge rock that was hidden in the gravel. I smacked that thing. I mean, it was right in the perfect line to, to cross over you couldn't see it the 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 way that the color of it was blended in with the gravel and then it was kind of the gravel was kind of packed up against it and the shadows and everything you really couldn't see it i, I didn't see it till right before i hit it smacked that thing rode the front wheel for a little ways and i was like holy crap dude i pulled over and i knew hayden was coming right behind me i was probably doing 40 45 miles an hour through that little section and um i pulled over and i was like oh man hayden's gonna smack that thing and sure enough here he comes cut doom doom he hits the thing i was like yeah he just hit it he's riding his front wheel for a little ways and saved it and he pulls up next to me and we get looking and we got matching dingers and front and real front front and rear rims on both bikes so we just went through two sets of rims just like that and uh some pictures on our social media, but we uh, we destroyed two sets of wheels just that quick. It didn't go down, thankfully. Yeah, no, no. crashes, but man, it was. Yeah, it was pretty hairy, man. Like it was, <clears throat> it was not especially like being you know first time down there, and in my eyes, I was just like, you always hear how gnarly it is down there, but after experience, what we went through, and then following eric through that and busting up two rims right off the bat is like dude this baja's no joke dude like baja's no joke it's no joke like after (laughs) yeah everything you go through and then that happening it was just like dude yeah you gotta know what you're getting into so for sure yeah it'll it'll test everything the bike the man the rider 
spirit. Your spirit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Test it all. So yeah. anyway, so we got through that. We're uh, luckily I'm going to throw a little shameless plug in here for Nitro Moose and Kenda um, for hooking it up with good wheel set and tires and combination there. We were able to ride out, but we completely destroyed two sets of wheels front and rear. I mean, it ripped the rim completely peeled back and like broke them. You could see daylight through them. And it was, I mean, they were broke. So broke two sets of wheels and <clears throat> finished the, finished the 70 miles and then packed them up. And well, on the way to go pick you guys up, I was following Joe in your van. I'm driving Mike's truck. And we had to go through two of those military checkpoints, and I'm driving. That fresh was out of jail. You fresh out of but jail. Daylight. Fresh I'm freaking. <laughs> so Joe goes. Well, Joe's in front of us. He gets pulled over. I get waved through the first checkpoint. And I don't know where I'm going, so I didn't turn where I was supposed to go. So I, I told, what's Mike's name? Wife's name? Tracy. Stacy. Stacy. I told Stacy. I said, "We're just going. We're we're going." So you went straight. We went straight because yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. And anyway, I get a couple miles up and pull off the side of the road and I'm looking in the rearview mirror and I see Joe make a right turn and goes up over the bridge and I'm calling on the radio. <laughs> we have radios and they're not working. So I call him. Oh yeah, you're supposed to turn this way. All right, we're coming. So we go. There's another checkpoint. Well, Joe gets through no problem. I get there and the guy's like, get out. I'm like, oh God, it's <laughs> all over again. <laughs> PTSD every I look, time. I look over at Stace. I said, well, this is it. We'll see you later. <laughs> he wants to look in the ice chest in the back of the truck. You probably had her freaking out. Oh, my heck. I, I, was, I was already freaking out just driving. Really? You just, you just went? Well, like Dave's kind of learned now, too. You know, I mean, never being down there. But being down there, and it, like, you, gotta, like you don't want to hang around there either. Yeah. No, I mean, I didn't leave him. I just went up the road like to where I could get kind of. Out of the away way. from there, yeah. yeah. And then, so the guy, I, this is Mike's. They don't truck, like right? you rolling in packs, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And this is Mike's truck. I don't know what he's got in the back. So I jump in the back. He wants to see in the ice chest. So I open up the ice chest. I see a Gatorade right on top. I grab the Gatorade. You want a Gatorade? Yes. <laughs> he yells at me. Yes. Andre, get out of here. Get out. Of here. I'm gone. I, yeah, see ya. I bang my knee jumping out of the truck. I jump <laughs> in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay so then we go uh, pick you up it's stressful though like, oh man the checkpoints and it's just stress i feel yeah. like a yeah. criminal now you know and walking on pins and needles <clears throat> yeah like joe said earlier that i mean the the military is there for your protection as much as anything and they just it's just standard standard revision standard review of the truck and you know not, where are you going where are you coming from in america yeah. honestly since like 9 yeah. 11 right after that you know and the airports had guys with mach military machine guns but that right. all faded away and you're just not used to it <clears throat> for sure so yeah so we get through that day um hayden had a section north of of highway three there highway three goes between san felipe and ensenada and uh hayden's section north of that had a little section that dude how were those whoops up there man uh yeah they're gnarly dude you know yeah they're and that's and I, the, the thing is it's just i've never i'm not a by my background's not being a desert dude by the way so you know you hear <clears throat> you hear all this stuff about how gnarly it is down there i've had maybe a handful of 
desert races behind my back. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's just all of this, everything, it's almost like everything that had happened during this journey wasn't, didn't seem real. And I was so occupied that how gnarly this course is and what it's trying to do to you kind of took away from reality and it's just I don't know at that point when you experience what you go through for you know thinking that you're going to go to jail for six months to five years it just makes you have a different approach on life and so for me it was just it was gnarly as all get out but at the same time um just being on a dirt bike, it just seemed to be fun. But along the way, like, I remember you telling me straight off the bat after we'd hit those rocks, you know, or hit that rock and blew out the rims. I was just like, dude, this is gnarly. I was expecting it to be this gnarly. And I just remember you clearly telling me, like, everything out in this place is trying to kill you. And when you told me that, it couldn't have been so, so like, it could you couldn't have been so surreal about that comment. Because experiencing what we did about going to jail and then blowing out the rims and then just looking at everything. Like if you mess up, if you even remotely mess up a hair out on that, on that trail, like it literally will do that to you. And so that was just my first experience as, as, you know, going into it, you know, was just like, dude, this is, I have made, I I felt like I've, I bit off more than I could chew at that point. Yeah. And, and like to add to that, like when I told you that my point was two parts, like one to kind of get you to respect Baja. Like if you go down there and you don't respect Baja, it will bite you every time. Yep. And then two was like every branch you touch has spikes every bush has spikes it looks soft and it's hard every cactus looks you know like it could just lean over and it's hard as a rock hard as a tree and so it was kind of that too like hey if you hit something dude it's it's gonna mess you up because it's either got spikes or it looks soft and it's hard like i yeah and so with that and then just the rocks that you don't see and the silt with square edges in it and the whoops that are just square-faced and uneven and massive um you know like it just literally if you don't respect baja everything out there is trying to get you so yeah you got to respect it go go into it with a lot of respect and understanding of what you're getting into like you said and um you know experience down there goes a long ways but um you got to experience it and learn somehow so anyway it was a really good week uh down there with you and we had a great time after after the incident at the border um but we still had we still had a lot of challenges and no that was uh, we'll touch we'll touch on those but basically we got through that day finally got some decent rest that night and then we got up early the next morning and taylor was pushing to to go do some more testing so we got up early the next morning and from sun up to sundown we tested the bike trying to get some settings that would just work that would settle the the shock down and we had a 
a rear shock that was swapping really bad in the whoops and just wasn't working great in the chop and stuff. And we kind of got it. We thought we had it somewhat tuned for the chop and stuff, but just the shock would not, would not settle down. And uh, I think we sent you off to pre-run your section again. And me and Taylor really just kind of focused all day on trying to get that thing set up. And Well, and I had to run back up to Mexicali with, with Mark oh, that's to go right. get my truck, so that was I was just trying to get in as much as I could because I know you know obviously you guys had the full day to try to get the bikes dialed in, but for me it was trying to just understand how you pre-run and and I only had a couple hours before I had to hop in with Mark to go try to grab our truck. So that's right. So yeah, yeah and yeah, we didn't even touch on that, but basically they impounded the truck and they told us that it would be ready early next week to go pick it up so hayden and mike headed up there monday to go pick the truck up and they got up there and the lawyer was like oh it's not ready we can't we can't get it yet so i guess they still had it at the border and everything everything just kind of started to seem like a little bit pushed out or sketchy like it was just wasn't nothing was easy right none of this whole process was easy and so it made us question several times along the way if, you know, if, if we were being, you know, duped or like we were being tested, tested for tested for sure. But like, we just weren't sure if we were even being told the truth half the time. Like there was a lot of second guessing and question. And it was because nothing, none of this, this entire process, none of it came easy. Even I don't think the deal, like the thing me and you talked about once, this is not insulting nobody or anything like that, but I don't think they deal with, they either deal with people with money, but people in our situation, which we just, you know, we, you got the support from, from Mike and Norman and average all that, dudes, but yeah, just kind of average and they don't deal with the loyalty. Yeah. You know, I, I, I honestly would be, I, I don't think they see that kind of loyalty very often and, and you know, like, the test kept coming and it was kind of like, well, man, dude, you're not going to break these guys. Like they're, you know, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't think they see that all the time personally, but yeah, that's probably part of it. That yeah. I hadn't even thought of, but, um, anyway, so Hayden and Mike go up there, they make a trip clear up to Mexicali ends up, they can't get the truck. So then they come back, get there just before dark. We're just getting done wrapping up testing. It's dark. We really made some decent progress, but, there wasn't really much we could do with what, what we realized with what we had, we, we couldn't really make much of it. So we had two other bikes with some, a few different settings that we were going to try those suspensions and try and work that out. So the whole process up to the 250 up, even up till race day, we were tested the entire way and it was just a uphill battle, a challenge. Um, I mean, kind of speed this thing up a little bit. We blew a race motor um two days before the race blew up a race motor test and suspension we went back and forth we swapped shocks and and forks over once or twice to different bikes and when we blew up the race motor we ended up pulling a race or a practice motor out of the practice bike and put in the race bike literally the night before tech inspection it was midnight we finished putting the motor in we all go to bed and we go to push the bike down through tech and I looked down to see what the oil level was at on the sight glass and realized there was no oil in it. I was like, tip that bike down. 
they tip it down. Long story short, we ended up forgetting to put oil in it. We drained the oil, but nobody, I thought somebody else did it. They all thought somebody else did it. We all were tired. So I said, Hey, whatever you do, don't start the bike because it's got no oil in it. So we pushed the bike through tech, get it back, fill it with oil. And then we still had to go do a shakedown on that motor because we just swapped the motor and just basically rebuilt the bike at the, at the house. So anyway, man, it was, uh, it was an uphill battle the whole way. We got to pre-run our section. I got to pre-run my whole section once and the start, um, twice, I think. And so it was, yeah, it was just a challenge the whole way. And, uh, I don't know. You got anything to add to that, Hayden? No, I would just say, you know, I, you know, the biggest quote I think is, you know, from my end is just like anything worth having doesn't come easy. And I think that's what this experience is, has taught. And, you know, as gnarly as the challenges are, and, um, is, you know, it's just, it's crazy bro i'm just like sitting here because it's i literally just was thinking it's just crazy how fast you forget the experiences sometimes and it's crazy how um everything you went through you can just it just goes away so quick and as i say here it is just like I'm just sitting here going, how blessed am i to be in life you know to have these experiences you know not just with you, but with everybody and, you know, it's just, it's crazy to think that there's just such a bigger picture to what happened in this than what the stories are telling. Um, there's so many life lessons and that's all I could ever think is the life lessons taught to me through this experience was, how grateful we are to live in the country that we live and just, and not only that, but just how we need to, how we need to treat people and how we need to love people, trust people and just how far gone we are as far as loving everybody around us. And that, um, every day we wake up and live our lives. There's a point and there's a meaning, but, we're so far gone that we're not listening to the simplicity. We're not listening to what God has to tell us each and every single day, you know, because we're, we're looking for such a bigger picture. But when we, when we think about, when we think about just what took place, man, it's everything happened for a reason. Um, I mean, you experienced it. We all experienced it. Like everything lined up. And when I'll, I'll get a little bit spiritual on this point, dude, but I mean, at the end of the day, I've always been told that God has a plan for us and he truly does. While I was sitting in prison and, or what, prison, but jail, not only that, but just the, the time of the calling for us to go down and grab the truck and, needing to go testing with Brett and all that stuff. It all lined up so perfectly. It couldn't have been no, it couldn't have played out any perfect. The day I met you, Eric, and to the day that, you know, 
I went down to California to the day we went down the day that corn dog got into the car with me. We crossed the border the day that we got out of jail. Like it all played out so perfectly. Like it could have been no more perfect because not only us, but our attorney, everybody that's been involved in this whole situation can only understand that it played out the way it needed to be played out. Yeah, for sure. There was definitely lessons learned and, and it was, it was a life experience that you don't necessarily want to go through, but man, I think we all grew from it and definitely got some, some things to take away from it. And uh, it's just going to make us stronger as a team and yep. No, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry. I, I spaced out there, but it's just like, it's just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about everything that itself, it, you, life's just so, life goes so, life goes by so fast that we miss the simple little things in life that God's always trying to show us and tell us. Yep. Totally so, agree, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Well, after all, kind of leading up to the actual race. um, Yeah, I mean, it just the numerous challenges, you know, we missed out on days of pre-running because of the flooding. We missed out on days of pre-running because of the incident at the border. We missed out on days of pre-running because of blowing race motor. Um, I mean, just just challenge after challenge blew out two sets of wheels had suspension that wasn't dialed and perfect. A lot of challenges that tested us to see what we were going to do. And, you know, there was some times where I think some of us doubted if we'd even finish. And, um, you know, I just, I tried to stay positive the whole time and just say, you know what, we're just going to deal with what we got and we're going to go send it and see what, see where we stack up, you know, worst case we come back and we regroup and we get better for the 500 and uh honestly we showed up to the to the race on race day and just it just almost was like i don't know it just came and went like it was so much chaos going up to it it was almost like it wasn't even real like we just like sitting on the start line started fourth overall um, race the pro unlimited, uh, pro moto unlimited. And I think we had fourth, uh, start position. So sitting on the start and it was dark and I'm just like, man, is this even real? You know, like I had just dealt with so much stress this last month. So coming into it, I was like, dude, just be safe, ride smart. Don't do anything stupid. You know, just, just get out of this one, just get through it. Right ride ride the best you can but just get through it and it was really kind of a, a survival mentality from from the get-go just because of everything that we had faced and just remember i got going into my section and pretty quick into my section like not even a couple minutes and i caught the bike in front of me and i was like okay i guess i'm not on you know too bad of a pace so i guess i'll just keep this going and see what i can do and um anyway i just tried to ride good lines trying to stay out of the whoops because the bike wasn't working great um the suspension 
And um, it was just, I think a lot of that fell on us. We didn't have the time to test like we should have, but um, you know, live and learn and life happens, whether you want it to be perfect or not. We had a lot of life crap going on and we did the best we could, but just kept the bike moving. And I, I just got the bike to Hayden at, at race mile 30 and I passed it to him and I just told him, I was like, Hayden, just ride the bike's ability. Be careful. It's, it's kicking pretty bad. Just ride the bike's ability. And I, I was happy to, to pass it off because it was a little bit of a wild ride through the whoops. Um, and a little bit scary to try and run that pace with, with the shock that we had on there. So yeah. passed the bike off to him and just kind of wished him well. And then from there, I just kind of was just hoping that he would, get through his section clean you know with all the adversity we'd had i was like just we just don't need any injuries any big crashes that that seemed like so smooth too from 30 to his section back to where we pitted with the planned pit stuff you know it was unfortunate but i mean we had planned we planned that pit out that it'd be five to you know five to seven minutes or whatever it was going to take but yeah, for sure. So we got to take a quick break, you guys, and then uh, we'll be right back. Let's come back and finish it up. We'll come back and finish it up. Hey, Hayden, we are back. and uh, back at it. We're back. We're going to finish up our race story and uh, go into some other things. But uh, anyways, let's uh, let Eric finish telling his story about how we finished and how we did on race day. Well, yeah, so I handed the bike to Hayden at race mile 30, passed it off, gave him a well wishes and sent him on his way. And like I said, I was just hoping that he wouldn't have any bad luck or injuries or anything happen. So just kind of praying for him uh, through his section. And then I was uh, slated to get back on the bike at race mile 110 at check one down on the end of zoo road so we went down there and just kind of waited for the bike to come to us um and we had sat radios and mike was on the tracker we had a tracker on the bike so we were able to live track everything we knew exactly where he was at and just kind of kept tabs on him everything kept moving and um yeah we just kept things kept things rolling i guess so how'd your ride go hayden um, I felt like my ride went well, you know, especially with all the adversity leading up to it. Um, I mean, for me, it was just, I was just stoked to, to be able to have the opportunity to be out there, you know, racing there, you know, in Baja. And, uh, once you had passed it off, it was just, you know, it was game on and just, and go have fun. And, um, I felt like everything went smooth. It was almost like you just had to pace yourself and just keep yourself going. And, um, yeah, I mean, I would say the section itself was, wasn't too bad until you got down to, I don't know, remember what it was where, um, you get into that gnarly sand section. It was just like sand all, it was leading up to the mini summit. <laughs> Yeah. 
Um, the sand section there was just super gnarly. It definitely wasn't the same from when we had pre-ran it, I think like two days or three days before. Like the whoops had gotten way more gnarly. And so just like going through that whole sand section was like, this is not what I remember it being like. Um, but it was just, you know, holding a good pace. So that was super fun. And then getting through, um, getting through the mini summit was gnarly. I didn't, you know, that whole section itself is just super gnarly. And then I remember just getting out of that, feeling the, the weight lifted off, knowing we got through that safe and carrying the bike into you. I was just, you know, just riding cloud nine at that point. And I remember passing the bike off and just looking at everything I'd gone through. I was just like, I'd rather have gone through all of the trials and tribulation that we'd gone through doing that than having something happen through the race, you know, spending all that time, effort, everybody's effort trying to get us there and, and the time being put in, it's just like, you know, you would, you do that all over again, just to make sure the race went smooth like it did for us. Yeah, for sure. We, you know, ended up having a overall a smooth run and really didn't have any issues other than just suspension being off. And, um, I kind of told Corndog and Joe, I was like, all right, guys, when, cause I had felt the bike from, you know, my first 30 miles. And I was like, no, some of the settings that we had from the, the day that we tested were better and safer and probably a lot more compliant in the chop and stuff. So I went, I found those settings and went back and I was like, okay, as soon as the bike comes in, we're going to change every clicker on the bike and, and set it back to this other setting so i went through and changed every clicker on the bike before i got on and we were going to do a tire swap if we needed it and um you know we ultimately we looked at the tire the tire was good i uh, had the guys just do a once over on the bike check everything while we were doing clickers and i actually tossed hayden a screwdriver and said here set the forks to these settings and had him adjusting clickers and um anyway everything yeah hopped on and took off and the bike definitely was better um in the chop and stuff it just still uh, that shock was still swapping and so we we battled it the whole race we just rode to the bike's ability and um you know had some good battles with some of the other riders uh the 33x um he and i went back and forth probably like six times and um I think he ended up missing a VCP out there that I swung out to catch. And anyway, it was just, it was a, it was an awesome, awesome race, awesome section. Um, got through the sketchy washes with all the bedded rocks that can just bite you. And then I got the bike to Taylor. And um, so we did end up before the race, we, we threw Zach Myers came up to, to chase for Taylor and Zach's a great rider and he's raced down there before. And because of the, all the sand whoops and everything and just all the adversity and stuff, we had challenges we would face. We decided to throw Zach on for a short little section towards the end there. And, um, Taylor got through his stuff clean. Zach got on, had an awesome battle going at the end. Um, with the 100x bike and basically we brought it home 
third overall and second pro unlimited. And, uh, yeah, just celebrated just a finish, man. We were just stoked to make it the finish at that point. And, uh, everything kind of was surreal, you know, with just all the adversity and, you know, we made it to the finish line and all the money and effort and support that everything we went through, uh, a lot of emotions at the finish just to complete this one. We got real quick too. We got Hayden loaded up and Dave and I drove the chase back to kind of, we we're never going to make it down to where you swap with Taylor, but kind of sitting there waiting and, and three uh, X came by, but honestly too, even with the times, I was telling someone this recently, you know, that pit was like seven minutes. And I think they, nine minutes or something, was there maybe 10 minutes, 3X? I mean, honestly, if you take away that pit, that had to be done. Mm -hmm. I mean, things are a lot tighter. So, look, you were in it the whole way. I mean, it's not like any, you know, especially given, again, everything we went through, not not pre-running not getting a lot of testing time, the flooding, the whole nine yards, the jail. Honestly, wasn't a bad ride. Look, you guys. It was perfect, yeah. I thought. Yeah, and that's a pretty good ride, really. That's kind of the takeaway, I think, that we all took away from it was, man, with all the adversity and all the challenges and, and you know, a bike that wasn't quite where we wanted it to be and, you know, on a practice motor instead of the race motor. Just a lot of a lot of issues to, to finish where we did, you know, we're pretty, pretty happy about that. There's a lot of things we can clean up and, and I think the takeaway is, you know, only up from here. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're excited for the 500. That's kind of our story about the 250 and, and how that went. And, uh, it was wild, but, I'd do it over again. I don't know about you guys. Um, it was on my bucket list to go to Baja. I wanted the full experience, and my God, I got it. <laughs> um, but on that note, I have caught the Baja bug, and I am going back. Just being at the finish line, watching these guys, obviously um, we had to park a ways, and I literally ran like a mile to try to see you guys on the finish line. I just missed you as you guys were rolling down, but uh, – just the people down there in San Felipe, um, they're friendly. They just want to party. They just want to celebrate. They're family-oriented. There was one point we were driving. We were kind of up on a hill, and you could look across the whole valley, and there was probably 10 or 20 miles along the race course of just people in easy-ups just swerving in and out of the desert just along the race course. They love us down there. They they love the racing. And other than than going to jail at the border, which comes down, it was our fault. It was great. I, I loved the people. I loved the I loved it all. I got the bug. I got the Baja bug and I can't wait to go back. And now about with you, hate corn dog. What? I said I'm with you, corn dog. All right. We're going back and bring on month. the five hundred. Let's go. yeah so anyways we're already um working on the bikes we're making arrangements we're getting rid of bullets (laughs) 
<laughs> We're just gonna uh, shoot them all. You only you only do that one time. Yeah. Um, anyways, I'm excited. Can't wait to get back. And again, um, I'm so thankful for Mike Mesa with Norman Racing and the rest of the team letting me be involved, taking me to Baja. You guys standing by my side. I'm sure you feel the same way, Hayden, and all you guys. And just, dude, you guys are my heroes. Well, corn dog, I could have made it through jail without you. <laughs> We're pooping bonding buddies. And tell me another story, please. Because <laughs> as um, you know, I was laying on the ground as corn dog would tell me stories. Yeah. He <laughs> laid on the floor on the concrete because your concrete bed wasn't hard enough. No, it wasn't. I needed a little bit more. Plus, I need you to yell at me as I did more push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm glad that's over. I'm glad you yep. lived through it. It could have been a whole lot worse. Um, again, that's Baja. Corn dog. Yo. I got a question for you. Okay. Did you get your Baja experience? I did. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, we ask pretty much every guest to tell us a Baja story, and I don't know if we're going to hear a, a better. There's not too many that can top yours. Yeah. I don't I don't know. <laughs> but, hey, let's not do it again, boys. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Let's just yep. have a clean run on the 500 and the 400 and the 1,000. There we go. Also, like. A, a big help to all this was Anna, Anna Balthus, yeah. and hooking us up with the place to stay. That was amazing. Uh, she, and I go back to, I mean, like she just happened to be with Roger Norman and them <laughs> when you guys got thrown in. Lynn Chenoweth. Yeah. Yeah. So that played out. But I, you know, I told you we've been down there before and different things. And I mean, if we were in a hotel and having to go through the bike, I mean, so that was big. So. Yeah, huge shout out to everybody, but especially yep. Anna and her crew for helping us out, and giving us a place to stay, and and Marco and his buddy. Yep, uh, yeah, they came and chased for us, and yeah, I'm buddy Marco we... down there. <clears throat> yeah, huge team effort. So anyway, that's our Baja story. Hopefully, it was entertaining. Hopefully, it's a little long. Hopefully, you guys can learn something from us. Um, you know, I take a lot of responsibility for for what happened. Um, being a guy that had been in Mexico several times, and and I didn't take it upon myself to personally tell Hayden to make sure, even though I don't think it would have made any difference because, you know, he thought it was clean and he didn't know it was in there. And um, that's just – it just is what it is. But um, – just double, triple check, make sure that there's no chance of any bullets or guns or anything like that in the vehicle because you will have an experience like ours. Hey, Hayden. Yeah. We should have taken my van. Oh, corn dog. Oh, corn dog. <laughs> and that's a whole other story. Yeah. We're going to leave that one as a cliffhanger. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, All right. We're going to wrap it up. And uh, appreciate you all. And uh, stay tuned for the wrap-up of this thing. And we'll 
I'll let you in a minute. Okay. All right, everybody. Hey, um, we uh, sat down with the team owner, Mike Meza, Norman Racing, after the Baja, um, while we were still down in Baja, right before we started heading home. Anyway, um, here's his story. Kind of tells us uh, where he's from, who he is. Um, you got anything to say about Mike, Eric? No, just a huge thanks and shout out to Mike for everything he's done for this team and the, the vision that he has for us and the support. And I mean, I just can't, words can't, can't describe what he's done for us and, um, heart of giving us, giving us more opportunities and resources than we could even ask for. And just a genuinely good dude. So here's his story. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody, we're sitting down here in San Felipe, New Mexico, or Mexico, Baja, and uh, we've got... The real Mexico. The real Mexico. we got Mike Mesa sitting here. We uh, decided to have him sit down with us, and he's supported our whole trip this time, and kind of the team owner, and uh, he's with Norman Racing, 15X, Eric's race team, and uh, how you doing, Mike? Excellent. How are you guys doing? Good. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from, and we'll just jump into some questions and stories, and this is Baja. <laughs> All right. So originally, my name is Mike Meza. Grew up in Southern California, so I did spend a lot of time down in Baja when I was younger. Always had a draw to it and had a greater draw for the mountains. When I grew up, left high school, I went skiing on a ski adventures, and I skied as a up in uh, Mammoth, was a ski instructor. I thought that was the best job ever, realized it wasn't. <laughs> Went to night crew, started cleaning toilets and actually realized I just love skiing and doing things. So essentially this, as I've been growing up, had a really good ski career, everything was epic. Just got sick of being a poor skier. Went to, uh, went to work, just started working construction and kicking butt in construction, was pretty successful and things have been really good for me. And um, I realized skiing was, I guess, moto. The whole thing comes to about moto. When my son was about five years old. I wanted to start motocrossing, even though we were a ski family. Started motoing with him. He motoed a lot. And then I realized I was motoing more than him, and I ended up falling in love with it more than he did. And then it was easier on my knees than the skiing. And I realized you could get a lot of the same sensations motoing, especially flowing through the desert as you do skiing. And then I just was drawn to it. Always, you know, started from zero, horrible rider. Just was always intrigued about how fast you guys, the desert guys go, just how they, you know, people think desert guys, it's a pretty interesting thing how desert riders, oh, they're just crazy. I hear this from some of my friends that don't moto. And I tell them there's a lot more to it than you just don't pin it across the desert and survive if you're not smart and intuitive. And it's just always been intriguing to me how fast, like I'll be ripping through the desert and I have friends, I'm going like 45, 50 through the, some runs and, or not runs, I guess, the trails and I'll have one of you guys come flying by me doing a wheelie and I'm like, how in the hell is that possible? <laughs> so it's just pretty, it's pretty mind boggling. So it's pretty, it's intrigues me and it's just, an epic sport, the camaraderie, and it's pretty gritty. You don't have a bunch of prima donnas. Everyone's either putting their head down and 
it's a pretty rough sport. So yeah, it's been pretty intriguing to me. So I've always wanted to have my race team. As I was working, I was making some money. I start. I didn't have a lot of help when I was younger. So I liked helping kids. So I've been kind of helping a lot of you know young skiers and moto kids, and I've always dabbled in it. But then when I met Eric, we um, met at the 200, at the Nevada 200. We had sat down and ate dinner, and Eric's like, well, let's ride tomorrow. So we had, me and him were, he was chasing me on my ass, he was riding my ass the whole day, just <clears throat> messing with me a bit. It was so much fun, I was, it was just awesome. He didn't know if he was making me nervous or not, he was pretty much popping my back tire, and I was just like, dude, this is awesome. We had a lot of fun, you know? So it was just fun, com like energy riding, which makes it better. So if you get to ride with a fun group of people, it just becomes exceptionally fun. Like it's just at a whole nother level. So I guess I don't know if I'm really answering that question, but I've always just been intrigued. To, it's not about making the money. It's more about the fun and enjoyment of the whole moto experience, you know? Meeting guys like, Eric, Corndog, Hayden, Taylor, Zach, Joe, I mean, just this whole group of people, it's been everything I've expected. You know, it has its moments where you're like, what the hell are we doing? And then <laughs> you have other moments where you're like, yeah, this will be worth it once you put all the pieces together. And I think we have a long ways to go, but I think we're on the right track. So it's pretty exciting. Right. So speaking of the team that you just named us all, it was our team, 15X this weekend, um, Norman Racing. I guess, first off, tell us how the Norman Racing name came about. So originally, Norman was my grandfather, and that's my middle name. And I've kind of always lived with that. I am... Um, the name of my construction company is Norman Construction. And I've always been like, I told my grandpa, they did a lot for me and helped me out a lot because I wasn't a wealthy kid, but they did a lot for me. They had a little bit of money. And um, I always told my grandparents I could never pay them back, but I could pass it on. So my grandfather, a week before he died, I told him I was gonna name my company after him. And I was still young, like 20 years old. So then when I was older, since I told him that, I might get emotional, but like, I, since I told him that, like when I started my own company, I named it after him, so I was pretty stoked to do that. And then he was just an amazing man, so that's pretty much Norman, Papa Norman. That's awesome. So. That's awesome. Exciting to be uh, have a race team named after him now too. Right. And just living a dream and having having a good time. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's great to have our biggest supporters, just someone that's passionate about the sport, like having you explain, you know, moto in your own words. I, I don't know that I could have put it better. Right. And uh, that's pretty awesome. So, um, so as far as putting this team together, how did that come about? I know you and Eric were talking. Um, I well, mean, yeah. A couple of years ago, I pre-ran with Eric and it was complete pandemonium and I saw how hard he had to work. So I was thinking, I talked to him, I'm like, man, we should set up something where we're organized. Not that they weren't organized, but try to be on top of it way before the race comes. So we're like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We put this plan together and then he was gonna ride with someone else last year. So I was like, okay. So I ended up buying a bike, got it all ready, 
we ended up started doing this a couple years ago and then there were some other opportunities opportunities that came up so we were like all right let's just i'm here i'm steadfast i still want to do it and i had my bike so i ended up just using it myself which was nice but you know the other team things didn't go go as planned so we kind of i kind of approached eric about it again i'm like hey man i'm still really interested can we do something and i thought you know if we get the right pieces together we could organize so where he didn't have to work as hard like my original plan was you just sit back and ride go pre-run your section don't worry about this crap but then i realized that's probably impossible because <laughs> no matter how much support you get there's still a lot of work to do and i feel like especially when you have riders that are working and they got real lives and have other things going on it becomes all consuming so it's pretty intense but um i think our first hurdle so originally i just wanted to make a team that where the riders didn't have to do all the work but i think that's probably an illusion that's not really possible so i i think since we're going to do all the work we might as well do the work with the best equipment we can you know so that's kind of my goal was i told eric we don't have as much money but we're gonna have the best bike that's all we care about so that's what we're trying to get so you know we're still a long ways away i think we, there's a lot to work on with the bike but i think we've gone in the right direction so yeah and that's um you know when mike kind of approached me he was like you know eric i saw how much work you put in for the thousand back in 21 and he's like man it's just you shouldn't have to work that hard but he says the one thing I can give you is some resources, you know, and I can help you out with some resources and make sure you have the things that you guys need to, to be competitive. And dude, I couldn't ask for more. I couldn't ask for a better person to, to be partnered with right now. And just Mike's positive attitude. He's constantly just positive with everything, even when things are going wrong and going south. And uh, he's, he's gotten us, you know, the best equipment that you can buy. And, um, so yeah, just super awesome to to have a partner like that that's willing to that just wants to see us be successful and have fun, have a good time, and that's what this team's um, built around is just you know we're gonna go do epic stuff and and have a good time together and get him out there pre running with us and you know we got to re he he got to pre run some of the San Felipe two fifty course out here and. Um, just see That's how my only, that was my only request to Eric I go I'm not going to ask for one thing but I get to pre-run with you guys as long as I get to do that I won't ask for anything so tell us about that what do you think of Baja you've been to Baja before right yeah I've never ridden San Felipe though San Felipe is a little different deal like I think it you know I've always heard stories about San Felipe whoops and you're like yeah whatever whatever you know we ride whoops all the time, but they're just longer and different here from the trucks. I don't know what it is, but, and then there's hard rocks everywhere that look like sand. So it's a little, it's a little different. It's a little bit, I mean, it's not manageable, but it's, I mean, it's manageable, but it's not overwhelmingly gnarly, but it's just endurance wise, it's gnarly. Cause it's just continuous. Yeah. That's, Con I think that's the roughest. And, um, like the YouTube videos and stuff don't do it justice. You you can't mm -mm. just watch a video and be like, oh yeah, that's you know okay, that's just a normal set of whoops. You get down here, it's way bigger in person. Um, but yeah, pretty. So how'd you pretty like crazy. it? I mean, was it? 
challenging for you? Or did you have epic? Fun? It was epic. Yeah, it's challenging. I mean, my lower back. You try to work with different body positions because your lower back starts cramping up. But <laughs> I guess once you figure that out a little bit, you got to break yourself into getting your butt kicked. Yeah, I think it. Um, it's just it's epic. Epic. I could. It's not something you can really explain. It's like the ultimate ultimate yoga. Like our wives and a lot of people that I know, they go to yoga to clear their mind. And I think a lot of moto guys go moto to clear their minds. Because I think when things were getting a little intense, like Hayden, we have some guys on the team that were, it was getting intense with trying to figure out the bike. He just put on his gear, went to ride, he just went on a ride. And then he came back and he was regrouped. And I think Eric did the same thing. Sometimes when the going gets tough, sometimes you just got to put your gear on, go for a ride and it clears your mind. Absolutely. It's actually an epic resource of clearing your mind. Mototherapy. Mototherapy. <laughs> Can't sum that up any better than that. Yeah, that's a perfect word for it. So with you being the team owner, Norman Racing, and after this weekend, how we did, you know, it's, it's been a challenge, and we'll be talking about that later on in the show, but um, it's been a challenge to get to the day after the race, and... With that being said, what are your thoughts on the team and goals for the future of the team? Yeah, I mean, like I've told Eric, I'm steadfast and unwavering. So um, as long as we're out here being positive and moving forward, I'm all in, you know. I just, that's exciting and I'm in it for years. If I want to, if we could all keep together, it'd be epic, I think, you know, just try to if I have to go work a little bit harder, then that's what I'll do. It motivates me to go work and kick butt too, you know? So, I mean, there's a lot of benefits it gives me. So it's not all, all me giving, I don't feel. I feel like I'm getting a lot as well. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I know, and we've talked about this a hundred times on the show, that I've never been to Baja, and now I'm here, and I couldn't have asked for a better group of guys to be a part of the team and I wasn't even on the bike and a few times yesterday I was getting emotional right I was breaking down so I know you probably felt the same way I mean you weren't racing but you were right there's every step of the way with us yeah I feel like I wasn't thinking about how we were going to place I was just thinking about keep moving forward like that's it like focus on racing as hard as you can with the bike you're given Go as fast as you can, and that's all you can expect. So wherever you fall in, whatever place you fall in, that's naturally going to be where it's going to be. So that's kind of what I was thinking all day yesterday. I try to compete and race. I've competed my whole life, so I get, like, you can't start getting visions of glory too early, like, before you even start racing, because that's a bad thing. You just got to put your head down and twist the throttle and go and try to not have mistakes as far as, you know, you guys pinning... I think that's important. There's so many aspects. I mean, I think of minutes and minutes that we threw away on little small mistakes in the pits and stuff, and we probably blew, I mean, there was possibly five to 10 minutes just being knuckleheads, you know? So there's <laughs> still a lot of places to grow, potentially. And I, then, um, yeah. yeah. And I've always heard too, racing Baja, you're not racing against the other racers, you're racing against Baja. And I don't think that could be any more true after this last week. <laughs> you got to beat Baja to win. Right. And uh, definitely there's other racers out there, but nobody else, nobody's race is as important as yours, you know, and 
and uh, first you got to beat Baja, and Baja can be relentless sometimes. So, yeah, for sure. Well, um, great interview, Mike. We really appreciate your support. We appreciate you coming on the show and being willing to um, share with, uh, you know, Norman Racing and 15X and the team and everything. And um, I, I'm going to say one more thing. I think it's pretty cool we have, like, an ex-motocrosser on the team. We have, you know, Eric and, you know, Taylor and Zach. But it's, I think if we could be inspired that possibly things, good success can come out of this, I think it'll inspire all the riders to even ride faster, which is exciting, but we want to ride at the right pace, not just faster. So we have to give them a better bike so they could rip it up. I think I've been impressed with Hayden, especially coming out of the moto world, not being complaining. He's just gritty in there, ready to go. Open-minded. Yeah. He was game. Wasn't sure what to expect, but he's been open-minded and willing yeah. to just. We gave him the Rocky out. section. We kind of threw him into the <laughs> rules. Yeah, we did. So, and he never bitch said, nope. He was like, yep, we, tell me what you want and I'll do it. So I was pretty excited. <clears throat> It was fun to watch him out there jump around like a little jackrabbit on the trail, <laughs> bouncing, hitting airs, fun stuff. Well, I know everybody that we have on the show that's been to Baja, we ask them for a crazy Baja story, and I know, man, we got some crazy ones this weekend, but give us, give us one of your crazy stories that's happened this week. Well, can, can I tell you all the stories, or should I just talk about how <laughs> I've, had pretty, I've had pretty solid... Um, Bowel movements, which is a good thing. That's always <laughs> exciting. Because you always get suspect, but I actually feel better eating the food here than I do in the States sometimes. Like, a lot of tacos. It's been pretty, pretty healthy and feel really good. And, and <laughs> yeah. And as far as, I think Baja, the scariest thing is just going across the border. Not the scariest, but... The things that could go wrong, it seems like, you know, when you get away from the border towns, life is pretty good down here, you know? Life is good. You stay out of trouble. They respect you. You respect them. And, and it's just, I think there's a vibrance for life here that's different than the U.S. They are happy. I mean, gosh, they're just out there in the sand dunes at night celebrating. I mean, I don't know if it's just a reason to celebrate, but the fanfare at this event is... Super, it's epic. I mean, it's as equal to anything I've seen as far as fans go. It's almost like a soccer game in Europe or something. It is crazy. Pretty, pretty exciting. Something you got to be here to see. Yeah. Pretty cool. Very cool. Well, I guess. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, Yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking again in the future. Talk some more. And uh, let's go home. Let's get home safe. And get ready for 500. the 500. Yes, sir. That's All right. See you. All right. Thanks again, Mike. Appreciate yeah. everything. All right. There you guys go. Our Baja story and everything in between. And then the interview with Mike Meza, Norman Racing owner. owner. And uh, anyways, it's amazing. Um, want to thank Takamoto for all their support and love they give to us. And I think Eric has a few people he wants to say thanks to for, for uh, reaching out and helping us. 
Yeah, Taco Moto's definitely hooked us up here on the podcast, helped us out, keep this thing rolling, and um, great dude over there. We got to hang out with him at the Nevada 200 for a little while, and um, can't say thanks enough for everything you've done for the podcast and for our team. And then uh, also just got to give a plug to some of my personal sponsors and just who have stepped up in a huge way this season, bigger than I could ask for and imagine, but um, Fly Racing supporting our off our our off-road effort in baja this year so huge thanks to fly uh, bulletproof designs hooking our bikes up with all their protective bulletproof designs products from levers radiator guards uh, brake guards swing arm guards um you know disc rotors and all that so uh, they make the best stuff when it comes to protecting your bike. And go check those guys out at Bulletproof Designs. Um, again, Blood Lubricants continues to help us out and just great oils and protection for your motors. Um, and lastly, uh, Kenda. Got to thank Kenda for hooking it up with the tires and keeping us going all season. Um, those guys have been huge for us. And with that, we'll just uh, ask you guys to go check us out on Instagram, the Desert Dirt Biker podcast, and then also on our Gmail, the Desert Dirt Biker at gmail.com, and on Facebook, Katie Eric, and check out our TikTok. Corndog's always posting some funny stuff over there on TikTok, so check that out. Um, anyway, yeah, thank you all. Uh, one last... Uh, shout out to Nitro Moose for giving us the protection of no flats and keeping things rolling through Baja no matter what. So thank you all, and thank you as our listeners for tuning in. hope you enjoyed this show as much as we did and uh, as much as we enjoyed our trip to Mexico. So we'll catch you guys on the, on the next one. Keep it real. Keep it on two wheels. See you at the races. You have just listened to another episode of the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you tune in next time.